get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Going back to last year, one of the teams we heard and one of the teams that were attached to Jacob Chikrin were the St. Louis Blues. They have the assets to do this. Yes, they do. And we know that Arizona does not want to take on a whole lot of money, if any at all. I wonder if the St. Louis Blues jump into this thing. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Jeff Merrick on the 32 Thoughts podcast, what, about a week ago now? And it is officially over. Yeah, it's Ending insane on your that that's perspective a week ago. of it. The long national nightmare, uh, the long flirtation, whatever you long prefer. national nightmare? The Jacob Chikrin sweepstakes are officially over. He no! is headed to Ottawa for a first round pick. This is There's conditions on all of this different stuff, but to simplify it to the most likely scenario, this is what they like got in return. 2023 first round pick, which is top five protected from Ottawa. A 2024 second round pick and a 2026 second round pick. Alex, let's talk about this from the Blues perspective. If you were Doug Armstrong and you were presented the opportunity to match this offer, because the Blues offer is probably better with these same picks involved than what Ottawa has to offer because Ottawa is a better team right now. So your first round pick is expected to be better than Ottawa's first round pick. If in this hypothetical scenario, you were presented the exact same situation, 2023 first round pick, top five protected, 2024 second, 2026 second. Would you have matched that offer for the rights to trade for Jacob Chikrin, Alex? I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have because Ottawa's in a different spot than you are as the Blues because Ottawa's had their picks in the top 10. Ottawa's had their players that they've selected first overall, second overall, third overall. They've done this rodeo. They're starting to build it back up. Jacob Chikrin was a piece that they needed to take them to the next level. You haven't drafted a forward in the top 10 since Rod freaking Brindamore. That was like before Tanner was even a thought. That was before your parents probably got together. What year was it? 80s? Oh, yeah, before they got together. Like, that's how long it's been. So I get that it was protected top 10 or it was a top five protected pick. The only way that the Blues probably could have justified trading their draft pick was top 10 protected. And even then... I still think I'd be hesitant with that. Anything in 24, 25, 26, not worried about. But the 2023 first round pick that's yours and it only be protected for the top five? No freaking way. Because I could get top, I could get sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth. That could be impactful players for me. More impactful than a Jacob Chikrin who's only under contract for two more years. So 
I get that he was a desire for a lot of people. I get that he was an area that could have fixed some things, specifically on the defensive side. But that's too costly if I'm Doug Armstrong for me to retrench with an asset like that. T-Bone, would you have offered the Blues pick, not the late first round picks, not the two that they got in the trades. Would you have offered the Blues first round pick this year if you were in Doug Armstrong's shoes for Jacob Chikrin? No, because I agree with Alex. You know, there's the chance that the Blues end up with a top 10 pick. And if it wasn't willing to be top 10 protected, which I don't think it was because it would have been in this deal. Uh, then I, I wouldn't have done it because I of how deep this draft is, and we'll get into this later on in the show. I even if you end up with say the eighth overall pick, there's a chance you're getting a really good franchise altering player in that draft it, it, with that pick. So I would not have done it. I, I think once you start asking for the Blues pick, it would pull me out of any trade. Whether it was you know when we were talking about Timo Meyer last week, they wanted the Blues first round pick, I would have been out. This same scenario, they want the Blues first round pick for Chikrin. I'm sorry, I'm out. Would he help the Blues? Absolutely. But I think that you're potentially getting a franchise-altering player in the draft in a top-10 pick, which it looks like the Blues are going to end up with this year, to where I wouldn't be willing to part with that pick for Jacob Checker. Someone texted and said, I would match this offer every day and twice on Sunday. I would have done better. The only thing is I'm keeping it top five protected. Great. What happens if that's the sixth overall pick? And that sixth overall pick becomes Mitch Marner. You gonna feel good about having Jacob Chikrin for two years and then not being able to afford him after his contract is up because he's going to demand six, seven million dollars. There's no freaking way I'm doing that. That's the thing. I've I've been the low man probably of us and honestly, probably of all the people talking about Jacob Chikrin here in St. Louis. From everything that I've read, everything I understand, I'm not going to pretend like I've been studying the video of Jacob Chikrin. I think he projects to be a a top pairing defenseman I don't know that he's a legitimate number one defenseman and unless you're getting a legit number one defenseman I'm probably not giving up a top 10 pick for that guy and the blues the overwhelming likelihood right now is that you are going to be able to get a top 10 pick this year so I, I would not have matched this offer when I first saw it come out I was like oh man that's probably not as much as I expected them to be able to get and you think a little bit more about it. You're like, man, they they got a top, they got a first round pick this year. They got something that can become a first round pick in 2024. And they got another second round pick. They did okay here. I don't know that the Coyotes did great. I would probably give them like a C plus, but they did okay, all things considered. If I was Doug Armstrong, and this is my guess as to what they did and why they didn't end up getting Jacob Chikrin, I would have offered my two late firsts. And then I probably would have offered a prospect on top of that, but I'm not offering my pick. My pick is like, if you're talking most untouchable assets within the blues organization right now, it's that pick. I think Robert Thomas would probably be number one. He's the guy you're building around long-term. I would say Pavel Buchnevich for me would be number two. That pick is third on the list of most untouchable assets within your organization, prospect, pick, player, anything right now. So I, I would not have traded that for Jacob Chikrin. If you could get David Posternock for it, all right, now we can talk. <laughs> right. You can't, but if you could, okay, sure, we can talk about that. I'm not doing that for Jacob Chikrin. Uh, and the other thing, too, that people need to remember, and from the 314, Alex, the Blues would be able to afford him in two years if Doug Armstrong hadn't give out bad long-term contracts. Probably, yes, but... Y- you are in this situation with all of these defensemen that you have, and you can't pull the trigger on a Jacob Chikrin because as soon as you do that, every team in the NHL is on notice that, well, you got to get rid of a defenseman. So to get rid of that defenseman, you're giving us something that you don't want to have to give up. This is the long play by Doug Armstrong.
Us as people want a chicken. And you know me, the biggest Jacob Chicken advocate out there. Yeah. I got one of the man. Frankly, I'm still a little upset about it. <laughs> but I, I can't I can't put myself over the fire like that and say like, hey, got chicken. Now, how the hell are we going to get rid of one of Tory Krug, Nick Letty, Marco Scandella? Oh, you got to give me a first round pick for it. Doug's not doing that. Yeah, that, that's where I'm at as well. I don't think that they missed out on this. I think it was the smart move to go ahead and say, you know what? We would have loved to have had him. And I, I bet you they were still in on this late in the end. But then eventually Doug Armstrong had to come to terms with the fact that, hey, this is just not worth it. It doesn't make sense. We did get a text that said, guys, how long is it going to be before that first round pick is able to actually uh, make an impact for the Blues? Yeah, it's great to have a top 10 pick, but when is that guy going to help you? It depends. Depends. If you end up getting somebody that is, I mean, on the level of a Mitch Marner or Connor McDavid, Jack Eichel, uh, Timo Meyer, Miko Randon, it could be right away. Could be one year, could be two years. The overwhelming likelihood, though, is by the time that they are done with that second year post-draft, they're probably going to be a part of your NHL roster. And by year three, the expectation is that they are not just a contributing member of your team, but they're contributing to winning. So I would say within the next three years, you expect whoever you select in the top 10 to be a very good player for you. I know that that's a long time to wait. I know that it is very hard to be patient right now with something like that. But unless you were getting a can't miss, obvious, no doubt about it, legit number one defenseman, I'm not trading that pick that the Blues have to offer right now. So I think that they ended up making the right decision, even if right now it feels bad. That being said, Alex, man, over the last 24 hours, the offseason became more complicated. God, yeah, it did. Earlier today, David Posternock agreed to terms with the Boston Bruins on an eight-year contract that pays him more than $11 million per year. It's $11.25 million per. I would have given that to him. Now, that is something very different than the Chikrin sweepstakes. If you wanted that from the Blues, more than happy to pay it to him. Good for him. Good for the Bruins. Feels right that he's staying in Boston. Where's his stuff packed? In Boston. Yep. So that's one player that decided to re-sign. You also had a trade of Bertuzzi going from Detroit to Boston for a first-round pick. You also had this deal with Chikrin. You've had a bunch of defensemen that have traded hands over the course of the last 48 to 72 hours. Alex, what did what has this trade deadline meant, in your opinion, for the Blues not just for the deadline, but as we approach the offseason. How much have things changed for the Blues? Things have changed a lot. I, I don't see Friday, tomorrow, being very active for Doug Armstrong. Maybe it's active in phone calls of teams trying to start something for the offseason, but it's not going to take place uh, tomorrow by their deadline because, frankly, everybody got what they were looking for. Uh, second, I mean, Timo meyer has gone. Dylan Larkin's gone. David Pasternak is gone. You're looking at this and you're saying, how are we going to retrench the way that we said we were going to? Uh, that's going to be a big question mark right now. You're going to have to wait until somebody gets bounced in the first round that says we need to change a scenery. Somebody says we can't afford this player. Somebody becomes available. But I also think as much as complicated as it seems, this is also a good thing for Doug Armstrong because he is probably the wealthiest general manager going into this upcoming offseason than anybody else in the National Hockey League that's ready to make their team competitive next year. There's a lot more teams that have more of an arsenal, but they're the three- to five-year plan. If if a Mitch Marner or a William Nylander becomes available because Toronto says blank this, we're blowing it up because it hasn't worked. Can we stick on that for a second? Yeah. I think that what's happening in the East right now is actually really good for you if it's you're a Blues great. fan. It's great. And the reason why I say that is because all of these teams are going, 
maybe not all in, but something approaching all in. And that means that if it doesn't go their direction and somebody's getting bounced, so one of these great teams is going to be bounced in the first round this year. And when that happens, not if, but when, there's going to be a lot of people looking around saying, how do we retool this thing? What is the next move for us? And the likelihood is it includes selling off one of their key contributors. So and mind you, the cap is expected to only go up by a million next year. The Rangers... The Toronto Maple Leafs, maybe the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are kind of at the back end of this iteration of their team. Huh. Nikita Kucherov. I don't know right who's now. going to I'm become in. available. Hell, the Boston Bruins, who are going to have some interesting decisions to make this offseason. There are going to be some teams, the Penguins. I don't know Pittsburgh what they're going to be decided to do. Like I'll Washington has still ha- still <laughs> has some assets available there. There are going to be teams in the East that when you look up in the offseason, you say to yourself, Man, didn't expect that guy to become available. That's going to happen this offseason, and the Blues are primed yes. to be able to take advantage. And they're the only team that's going to be that way because they've got two, three picks in the first round, too, because they're not giving up theirs. They've got prospects that they could look at. They've got all the weapons as soon as a player becomes available and says, man, he'd be good at the Blues. Boom. Doug Armstrong pulls the trigger on it. So offseason is going to be very interesting, and the possibilities are, are endless for Doug to still retrench this team, even if it seems bleak right now because everybody was moved. Before we send it to break, please. I think it's only right that we give the Golden Goose Jacob Chickren his proper send off. Oh. T Bone. You got some words? Ladies and gentlemen, Jacob Chickren, the man we all thought was going to fix the D, it's not going to fix the D anymore. Now he's fixing the D out in Ottawa. Oh, no. The Canada capital. We all remember how much I wanted a Mongoon. How about a Mongoon who could score goals? Mm. He's 24 years old, $4 million. A prime suspect to play with Colton Pareko and make a lethal one-two punch. Didn't want any part of this deal. This poor lion cub was ready to roar in St. Louis. Now he's going to have to take over Pride Rock out in Canada. Jacob, you'll forever be missed here in St. Louis. Just at the damn break. I can't. That was great. It's Alex Ferrario. He's getting a little emotional today. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. In 15 minutes, we'll talk to Joey Vitale. Want to get his thoughts on the trade deadline, what it means for the teams in the East, what he thought when he saw the return for Jacob Chikrin. We'll get into all of that coming up with Joe in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next. Are the Cardinals going to have a lineup that resembles what the Dodgers have put on the field the last few years? No, I'm not saying they're going to have the best offense in baseball, but maybe we'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. God, your offense is amazing. Arenado and Goldschmidt have played almost every day. When you look at the lineup, it's Newt Bar and it's Donovan, a Gorman type of a guy, and even an Edmund, and you don't really think much of those guys until all of a sudden you look at he's got a 780 OPS and he's got a 790 OPS, and, and they can really do some damage. It's a tough, tough lineup. 
Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Walt Jockety and Jim Hickey, the former or the current. Is Jim Hickey still with the Nationals? Yeah, yeah, he is. He was on their bench yesterday because I saw it Good on enough. the uh, television. So he, the Nationals pitching coach, pitching coach got fired. Talking no, about man. the Cardinals offense last year. Now, since then, they, of course, have also added Wilson Contreras to the mix. And Alex, I did want to talk a little bit about the offense because I think we're going to go about it a little bit differently this year. We started it last year, but now we're going to take it even to the next level. And what I mean by that is the positional versatility. Kylie McDaniel was writing about Jordan Walker yesterday over on ESPN.com, and he wrote this about the the way that the Cardinals offense can be constructed. Quote, St. Louis has two young players ahead of Jordan Walker, Nolan Gorman and Alec Burleson, both of whom are likely to start the season in the majors. All three of those players have the ability to move around the diamond defensively so the Cardinals could form a Dodgers-style multi-positional platoon with the righty-hitting Walker, the lefty-hitting Gorman, and the lefty-hitting Alec Burleson. Again, that came from Kylie McDaniel of ESPN.com. Alex, it's not just those three that can do something like that. I think you're going to see, like today, Brendan Donovan play all over the diamond. You'll see him play second. I think you will see him get opportunities this year, potentially at shortstop. I think you'll see him in the outfield. He'll play third when Arenado needs a day He's off. He's at third today, mm-hmm. uh, down at the for the Cardinals with spring training. In the outfield, all three players that are expected to be starters on opening day can play all three spots in the outfield. Uh, You look at, for example, a Nolan Gorman. He could play second. He could play third. He could play DH. You look at Juan Yepes. He could play first. He can play corner outfielder DH. I mean, they've got a lot of guys that can play all over the place when or if Mason Wynn reaches the big leagues. He could play second, third, or short when needed. This is a team that is finally constructed in a way that allows them to do what the Dodgers have done for years. When I have looked at the Dodgers lineup, I have looked at it with envy, Alex, because they can keep all of their guys fresh throughout the regular season. You can play Chris Taylor at second base or in the outfields. You can play Max Muncy at second, at first, or at DH. They've got options. They've got versatility. And all of them, it's not just that they can play all over. They're pretty good regardless of where you play them, and they hit for their position regardless of where you play them. When you look at what the Cardinals have available to them this year, Alex, how does it differ from what you've seen from them in years past? I mean, you just said it all, the versatility. I I mean, it also differs to where you've got potential power, also on-base threats everywhere in your lineup. Like, for the longest time, it always felt like those guys were only – hitting three, four, maybe five. And then everywhere else is like, oh, we're going to plug and play and see what happens. You know, you had the Steven Piscottis, you had those guys that were the contact ones, but now you've got it everywhere. I I mean, Brendan Donovan, we've talked about this already. He's showcasing his power to potentially be the leadoff hitter, and we all know the on-base potential, but it absolutely is a versatility. I mean, you could have potentially four guys on the bench that you view and say they should probably be starting on a major league team elsewhere. You put them on Pittsburgh, they're probably starting for those teams. Juan Yapez, uh, uh, Nolan Gorman, uh, Moises Gomez, depending on if he makes this roster, Jordan Walker, Lars Newport, like all of these guys you'd look at and say they should be starting elsewhere. And as you said, that's what the Dodgers always had. Yeah. They'd have dudes on their bench and you're saying, why is this guy not starting? For the longest time, it was Gavin Lux. You're like, why is Gavin Lux not getting all of these starts? That's where the Cardinals are at right now. And that's why everybody is so hyped on this offense, because the phenom that they're all talking about, he's probably going to be in AAA to start this season. As much as it's the Dodgers comp, in terms of offensive capability, it also looks a lot like the Braves.
to where you're bringing guys up from the minors and these guys are impacting your roster already trying to figure out where everybody's going to play. So uh, the hype is real with this offense, but I love your Dodgers comp. I would say there's three teams that have done this in the past that have done it to varying degrees of success. The Dodgers are the ones that have done it most consistently to the highest degree of effectiveness, but the Rays have done it. The Rays do this all the time where they've got guys that can play all over the diamond, specifically at second. That's kind of where they interchange a lot of their different players. Second outfield slash DH. Those are the spots where you see it most often. The Giants did this. Now they did it to a degree that was unforeseen in 2021. And then last year it has a had a dramatic step back. But in 2021, we saw what this can do for an offense with the Giants, where you'd look at the lineup every day and you say, okay, there's like two or three guys that I really trust in that lineup. And then they would maximize the output for their offense by putting them in the best positions to succeed around those two or three players. I think the Cardinals just have better players than the Giants did either of the past two seasons. So I think they can go about this a little bit better. But T-Bone, when you look at the offense and the the versatility that Ollie Marmel has at his disposal this year, what comes to mind for you? Uh, it makes me think that they've got the chance for that top five offense that we've always talked about, even what you said before we went to break, potentially the best offense in the league because I can't remember who wrote it. It was some point during the offseason, and it was one of those kind of, I think it might have been Bradford Doolittle VSPN, where they project to have like eight guys with OPSs above, above league average. Uh, so OPS plus, I mean. So I, I see a lineup that not only does it have versatility, but it's productive versatility because you can look at a lineup and say, oh, well, we've got versatility. Yeah, but if a guy's got a 600 OPS, I don't really care about his versatility because yeah. he's not worth playing. So I, I think they're going to be able to mix and match. And I, I think you're looking at a lineup, if everything kind of goes the way we're thinking, you're going to have about six to seven guys in stretches to where you look at the lineup and one through seven is going to be deep. and You're going to go, holy bleep, how do we get them out? And then hopefully if everything is going right for the Cardinals, which – to be honest, early on in spring, things are looking good. Gorman's played well, and he's a guy that we're talking about that could be on the bench. Juan Yepes is, I think, three for his first six in his in his spring training so far. Then you have the potential to where when one guy cools off, you can just immediately replace him with someone that's gotten hot too. So I, I think you're looking at a lineup to where there should not be a stretch where this offense goes through a major cold spell. And I, I think that's the potential for this lineup. Now, granted, there's going to be times maybe where a bunch of guys go cold at the same time, like we saw at the end of September where you had Goldie, Arnato, the back part of the order got kind of cold, Newpar had kind of cooled off. I don't know if you'll see as much of that this year. There shouldn't be those games where we see those massive swings where the Cardinals put up 10 and then they put up zero. I just don't think that's going to happen with how deep and how versatile this lineup can be. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. This one comes from the 314. Guys, this is a massive overhype of the Cardinals offense. This is yet another season where you guys are giving too much credit to the outfield bats. The Cardinals have versatility because there's only three guys who are clear-cut starters, and then they've got a bunch of 4A guys around them. I just completely disagree completely disagree with that assessment of where the Cardinals offense is at right now. When you look at them, do they have some question marks? Absolutely. So do basically every other team in major league baseball right now. Tommy Edmond has proven himself to at a minimum be a major league average hitter at the plate. Tyler O'Neill, real question marks with him health wise. If he's healthy though, I'm pretty confident in what kind of a player he is. He's going to strike out more than you'd like, but he's got a ton of power. Wilson Contreras, Arenado, Goldie, we don't have to talk about them. Those are the three, like, surefire things. I think what I like about this lineup is you're throwing numbers at it. You have the potential for Carlson, Newtbar, Yepes, Donovan, Gorman, uh, Gorman uh, Burleson, um, Walker. You've got, like, ten different dudes 
that can fit into four spots in your lineup on any given day. A little poppy, depending little on poppy. what happens with him in spring training. He's coming, T-Bone. They've got options, and that's what you want. If you're the Cardinals, if you're the Dodgers, if you're the Padres, you want to have options around those pivot points in your lineup where you're going to say, okay, these guys are batting three, four, five for us every single day. That's what the Cardinals have. It's what they've been missing in recent years. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll get to questions and answers in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, Joey Vitale, he's the Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. He'll be on the call for Blues at the Sharks tonight. What did he make of the Jacob Chikrin trade yesterday? What does he think that means for the Blues, especially with their current blue line? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. something completely obvious that makes sense for both sides actually takes place. And I think that's what just happened for the St. Louis blues. Sammy Blay, as you heard in that update has agreed to a one year contract extension with the blues worth $1 million. Alex, Sammy Blay is 26 years old. He has clearly fit in better here than he did in New York. I think this is a great signing by the Blues, and it makes all the sense in the world for both sides to get this done now. Don't worry about it in the offseason. Let's just go ahead and hammer out a contract extension right now. He allows the Blues the benefit of time, whether he's a third or a fourth line player for you next year. He brings some of that grit. He does bring size, and he brings experience to your lineup. I like it. I think it makes a lot of sense. For Love them. it. I think this is the identity that Doug Armstrong said. He fits into the age frame, and it's the identity that Craig Berube wants from his bottom six forwards. Sammy Blaze got offense. Sammy Blaze got physicality, and now he's a little bit of a veteran, which is good to have in a locker room where you could potentially have younger players. So one year, one mil, perfect. It's a million bucks. Not a whole lot of risk here, and he's a really solid player to keep around and that is the backdrop to the conversation we're about to have with Joey Vitale blues analyst for 101 ESPN he joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line Joey we appreciate the time as always my friend how you doing today Joey 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 (sighs) what's up boys always always a a warm welcome from you guys I appreciate things are going great guys how are you today Uh, doing well let's uh, start out with the news that we just heard from the St. Louis Blues Sammy Blay going to be sticking around for at least another year what's your reaction joe yeah it's a great great call i think it's great for the price you got him for i mean clearly sammy blay fits the mold here in st louis you know he's only been on one other team the new york rangers um you know it's really unfortunate the way his career started in new york going down on that pk suban slight slew foot he obviously uh completely 
tears his ACL on that play right there, and and that first year uh, was tough. And then he comes back, and as we all see, those ACLs, those Achilles, all those type of lower body injuries, it takes some time. And he never really got, got the ground underneath him there in New York. Of course, he was a part of the Tarasenko trade. Brings it back to St. Louis, and he had success instantaneously. I mean, his first game scores a goal. Uh, he had a great primary assist on the game-tying goal that sent that Pittsburgh game to overtime, just being heavy, driving the net. I mean, plays like last night. Watch him last night and how he performed about driving that net on that power play, the way he dipped that right shoulder, hard power move to the net. Uh, the physicality, his willingness to throw his body around on some of the biggest players out there, Alexiak and that Seattle cracking game, another perfect example. So, again, under Craig Berube, you know he's going to bring the physicality. He's got an amount of grit to him. To me, a third, fourth-line guy next year, uh, a great contract here for the St. Louis Blues. Well, and what that also does, Joe, it seems it, it provides more opportunities, but also not the situation where you have to throw uh, Jake Neighbors next season into the fire or a Zach Dean if he makes this roster. Sammy Blake provides that ice time because he's got the experience at the NHL level. Well, he does, and you know, I, I really have enjoyed seeing Blay and Torbchenko on that third line. Yeah. Now, is Logan Brown going to be that centerman for the future here over next year? Well, that's that's kind of up to Logan Brown. You know, I think that that line that has shown some really good spurts over the last few games. Again, I go back to that Pittsburgh game. They were a heavy line. They controlled the puck down low. Look at the size of those three guys. I mean, just monsters on that third line. I mean, Logan Brown, Torbchenko, Sammy Blade, not only big, but they throw their body around. They're heavy on pucks. They're good down low. If they could figure out a nice little rhythm where they can get to the offensive zone, hunt on the forecheck, and hold on to that puck, it is very difficult to take it away from those three guys. I think that's what Doug Armstrong has seen over the last few games in regards to Sammy Blay and the value there. You know you're going to get it from Torpchenko. His game has continued to uh, rise all year long coming off that shoulder injury. So for Doug Armstrong, it really becomes, you know, who can be a really solid centerman uh, to, to support that big line? You know, this is one area of the Blues, if you look at their roster, they've kind of gotten away from over the last couple of years. It's been their size. I mean, this has been a Doug Armstrong um, foundational thing since he's been a general manager. He likes big teams. He likes strong. He likes heavy teams. And after that 19 run, we lost a little bit of that, whether it be, you know, a Petrangelo on the back end or a Jay Bowmeister. You lose Pat Maroon. You lose Sunquish. You lose Steen. Uh, now you lose Barbashev. So we've gotten away from those big, heavy forwards, the David Backus types. And now it's almost like he's spinning it back to what he found that made this team so successful is fighting those big guys. So Sammy Blay, of course, with Torbchenko. And the big question mark for me is going to be for Doug Armstrong is can Logan Brown continue to rise his game up to the next level to become that sentiment and be that anchor on a very, very physical and big line in the future? We're talking to Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN here on BK and Ferrario. Joey, so that's the move that the Blues decided to make today. They also did not make a move yesterday for Jacob Chikrin, a guy that we've been talking about, not just here in St. Louis, but around the NHL as a potential trade option for like 18 months at this point. The Coyotes did get a pretty solid return from Ottawa. Top five protected first round pick this year, 2024 second round pick. And all of these have some kind of conditions on them, but just the likelihood 2024 second and then a 2026 second as well. Those three picks. When you saw the return that Arizona was able to get, what was your reaction with the blues in the back of your mind and what they potentially could have offered Joe? You know, I think Chickren going to Ottawa, I think it's a good move for Ottawa. I know for a fact that when Brady Kachuk signed that eight-year extension and now is going to be the captain in the face of that franchise, they made a commitment to him. I personally know that. They made a commitment to him 
that this isn't going to be a long rebuild. This is going to be a pretty abrupt turnaround, and they are going to put players around Brady Kachuk to show that you know they are going to invest in him just as much as he's invested in them. I mean, you look at the the move they have to bring in a player like Alex to bring it. That Stutzel, that German forward, he, he's a fascinating player to watch. They have a lot of great pieces in that lineup. They have a lot of veterans. I think they were one one spot on the defensive end, week away from maybe making a wild card push. I mean, I think right now they're five points out of a playoff spot, and I think that this is an Ottawa team that you look at them and they just want to get in. If they if they get in this year, it's going to be a cherry on top, ice on top of the cake. Get get this young group some experience because this is a team on the up and up. It's amazing to see what this trade deadline. Has meant. I, I would say that obviously, clearly, the East has gotten so much stronger, and because the East has gotten stronger, some teams have gotten to get weaker. And to me, it's been the West. I think the West, for the most part, has gotten a little weaker, and the East has gotten stronger. That Ryan O'Reilly, Tarasenko move from Doug Armstrong, it was early, but the Rangers, the Toronto Maple Leafs, those type of teams established very early in the deadline. We are going to get better because this is a very, very tough conference. It is going to be very difficult to get to the final. Coming out of the East, Toronto set the tone, New York set the tone, and now look at here, Boston Bruins. Now they have to play and catch up right now. Silent, um, trading for Tyler Bortuzzi, of course, from the New York Rangers to kind of muscle up their offensive side of things. And I just saw the, a minute ago Taylor Hall, of course, going on long-term IR, which is, you know, we're seeing that more and more nowadays with players who are a little bit dinged up. So will he return to the playoffs? Possibly. But the reality is what Toronto uh, has started, with New York what has started, now every team in the East – is just bulking up more and more because they know it is going to be very difficult to get through and into the final of the season. Joe, do you think that's going to benefit Doug Armstrong in the offseason because all of these teams loading up for this run? And if, I mean, it obviously isn't going to work out for everybody because somebody's going to have to lose. Uh, only one team wins the Stanley Cup. And at that point, teams are going to have to start offloading some of the salary cap where Doug Armstrong, who right now has a wealthy arsenal of weapons to use, uh, he could benefit from this. Well, I think the benefit comes, Alex, it's a really good point. I mean, let's, let's look at Toronto, for example. I think when you have a general manager in Kyle Dubas that is going to make a full commitment to, to, to absolutely buy and, and load up to win, at least get past the first round, I think it's sink or swim for a general manager this year in Kyle Dubas. I really do. I think if they don't get past the first round, I think, I think he's done. So what kind of trickle effect will that have? On, on the trial Maple Leafs while well, you have a new GM come in. Maybe he sees his team going in a different direction, and then you lose a couple players here and there. Maybe it's a Nylander on the move, for example, as one of their core pieces to, to free up some calorie space. So that that is where I see it really becoming um, a busted up. You can't have the Bruins, Tampa, Toronto. You can't have all those teams you know, going to the conference final, obviously. <laughs> Something's got to give, right? Someone, one of those big teams is going to lose in the first round, and when that happens, you're going to look at the work they put in during the trade deadline and, and the moves that were made. And I'm telling you, so, someone's going to lose their job. And that, that's just the reality. And that's just the business. And when that happens, I think you see a complete new restructure of a team. And with that, yes, absolutely. You're going to see pieces leave that group. Um, does that mean a, a Ryan O'Reilly, if the trial may please don't make it past the first, is it, does he resign here in St. Louis? You know, what do they do with, with O'Reilly on the back end? What do they do with some of the pieces like a Giordano? Do you, do you move some of those guys around? Uh, because definitely it will, it will become a bit of a splash in a, a recycle win. I'm saying win, not if, win one of those big-time teams will make it to the second round. 
Final question that I've got for you, Joe, is on Kasperi Kapanen, who we saw in the Blues uniform for the first time the other night. I told Alex, my biggest takeaway is just that I noticed him. Like, at all times when he was on the ice, I felt like I could feel his presence, whether it was the block shots, the actual shot attempts on goal, uh, his ability to just have puck possession. What was your biggest takeaway from his first game, and what do you want to see from him down uh, as we go down the stretch here? Yeah, you know, Alex and I, BK, we talked about in the pregame, and, and I've gotten some really good intel from some former teammates. When Pittsburgh was in town a couple of games ago, uh, talked to Sid, talked to a couple of the guys, talked to some trainers. This was right when we picked uh, Kapanen off waiver. So the, the, the news was out. And everyone personally came up to me and said, hey, by the way, make sure you take care of Cappy. I swear, it was the weirdest thing. And then running another guy, hey, you guys got Cappy. Awesome, dude. Take care of him. It was like one after the other. It's like, holy smokes, this guy must be a legit dude. But he really is off the ice. He's very old school from what I understand. A great personality, a uh, hard worker. I personally, from what it sounds like, I just think that he has just always been that guy in the shadows of other players. I think he's been the shadows of Austin Matthews, of course, Mitch Marner and uh, Tavares in Toronto. Then you go to Pittsburgh and you're around that trio of Malkin, Latang, and Sidney Crosby. And you know what? He's been around long enough and he's probably been in the shadow long enough. I bet he's just probably a little fed up with it. And he's now looking at this team in St. Louis as he could potentially be like the guy, like he's Robert Thomas, like, but with more experience. I mean, imagine that. I mean, his skill levels there, his speeds there. We saw some great flashes. Like you said, BK, you notice them, whether it be that spin around and move on Alexiak in that first period coming down the gauntlet. Hey, he almost tied the game up late at a four, three game on the power play. It just whizzed by that, that, that far side corner or else it's the tie game going in overtime. So moves like that plays like that. He's got the skill level. He's got the speed. He's, of course, been in the league a long time. So he's got the knowledge and wisdom there as well. I just look at the, him with St. Louis as St. Louis needing someone to be the guy and step up. And I think that he's come to a point in his career where he's tired of being in the shadows. And he wants to, in fact, be that guy. So the hunger, the desires there. And I think when you have those two things on a team that is in a rebuild mode like St. Louis, heck, man, the opportunity is going to be there. So go out and grab it. Joe, appreciate the time as always, man. Looking forward to hearing you on pregame coverage with Alex starting at 8.30 tonight. You and Curbs have the call for Blues versus Sharks starting at 9.30. We'll look forward to listening to you guys tonight on 101 ESPN. We'll talk with you again next week. It sounds good, boys. You guys have a great weekend now. Absolutely. Same to you. That is Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate his time. Love what he said there about Kasperi Kapanen, Alex, there at the end, uh, talking about what, what it means to be thought of in a different way, right? Like, I mean, think about whatever your job is in whatever walk of life that you're you're in, whether you're in radio like us, Alex, or you're somebody that's in sales and you've just got like this legend that's in front of you. That's basically what Kapanen's had for his entire career. And now that he can have the opportunity to really kind of create something of his own here, man, the opportunity here, and I don't want to make too much of it again. It's one game. He hasn't been an up and down player in his career. I'm not suggesting that you've got the next Austin Matthews here in St. Louis. I would never suggest that, but he's got an opportunity the rest of the season to say, I'm the guy that's going to be paired with Robert Thomas for the next five years. He, he could do that based on his performance over the next year plus in St. Louis. He's with him now, and if you take advantage and you look good down the stretch, you're probably going to be the first one to get that opportunity again next year with Robert Thomas on the wing. So that's, that's a hell of a guy to tie yourself to here in St. Louis because I mentioned earlier, I think he's probably the most untradeable asset Robert Thomas is in this organization. I think where the Card- where the Blues are at right now is we we've mentioned that the culture is gone in that locker room and I think you're re- trying to rebuild that right now. And 
what Kapanen is is a different voice into a locker room that's had the same voice all season long. Now you bring in a guy who played with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and William Nylander, so saw that side of it. Now you played played with the guys Crosby and Malkin and Latang, a winning culture that the Pittsburgh Penguins possess. And now you bring it to a Blues team that's trying to get back to that. It really is very eerie how close the comps are with Kapanen's situation and what they did with David Perron. Now, I know they didn't trade Kapanen away and Perron back, but like look at Perron's career. He was he had 20 goals twice, but really never got to that consistency until he went to Edmonton, and then he went to Pittsburgh, and then he went to Anaheim. And what's he do? He comes back to St. Louis and is a stud. Then he goes to Vegas and comes back to St. Louis. What I think this can do for the Blues is bring in a Kasperi Kapanen who has seen different cultures and you're putting him into a locker room that right now needs to get back to that winning mindset. This is a guy who only cares about winning now because he got the money. He was placed on waivers. He was nearly not claimed and sent to the minors. And now his opportunity is in a top six role. I think this is going to be a good thing for the Blues. And this is why getting him at $3.2 million for next year on a walk year is a great thing for Doug Armstrong. By the way, I didn't mention this during the Chikrin segment, but I do think it is relevant to the Chikrin sweepstakes. If the Blues were to get Chikrin, they probably if they thought they were really in on him, I don't think they could have made the move for Kapanen because of the cap space. You you would have used that cap space towards Chikrin's final whatever 25 games, the prorated salary, and he would slot into that spot cap-wise for the rest of this season. So, while it is yes, first in 2 seconds that you would have given up in the trade, for Chikrin, you also likely would have given up the right to be able to select Kappen and off of waivers. So keep that in the back of your mind as well as you're thinking about uh, the opportunity cost of making a deal like that. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll get to number 19 on our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for 2023. But next, questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text 314-399-9646. BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. And I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's get to questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Let's start with this from the 314. Guys, what new rule do you believe will have the biggest impact by the end of the Major League Baseball season? Is there any one rule that you think we'll, we'll look back upon and we'll say that was the one that changed things the most? I think the bigger bases with the stealing. I think we're going to see a rise in stolen bases this year. I... I think I agree because I, the pitch clock is going to make the game faster, but is it going to impact the game? No, I don't think, I think so. for fans, maybe. I don't think it'll impact the Yeah. Uh, and then yeah, I look at the bigger bases. I would say, I, I don't know. I'm not buying into we're going to see the running Redbirds back. I, I just don't know if that's going to actually occur because I still think analytics will tell you analytics. it's too, too, you risky, it wrong. too risky to steal and get caught. So, uh, and then what's the one I'm for? Oh, the sh- the band of the shift. I know average is up right now, but I, I don't buy too much into that. I So I'm going to say it's going to be the bigger bases. I'm going to say it's bigger bases combined with the 
um, pickoff rule that you can only have two two throws over to first. I, I think that's plus the pitch clock. Like all of those combined, I think is going to get the running game going again. I agree with you, Tanner. I don't think it's going to be at the run and Redbirds level, but I do think that there will be more running in the game this year than we have been. We've had in previous years um, from the two one seven guys. Do you think that Isaiah Mosley will ever play for Mizzou again? What are or do you think that it's the personal reasons uh, that are keeping him off of the court? We, we don't know. We don't know what's going on with Isaiah Mosley. And to be totally honest with you, I don't think that we're ever going to know what's specifically taken place this year with him on and off of the court. My expectation at this point is that he will not play again in a Mizzou uniform. If that changes, great. But right now, Alex, when you look at the way that he's produ- produced this year for Mizzou, go over to Ken Palm and they've got the offensive ratings, which is basically like, how efficient are you as a scorer? The only player on Mizzou's roster that has been less efficient scoring-wise this season than Isaiah Mosley is Caleb Brown. It's like, as much as we talk about him as being this pure scorer and this guy that really helps them, he hasn't really been that for Mizzou so far this year, and he hasn't played a lot, and when he has, it's been up and down. I'm not too worried about it. They've got a good team and they've been good without him. So if he comes back, great. I'm not expecting him to. That's kind of where I'm with too. This team has molded themselves into a winning team this year and the chemistry is working. I'd love to have them as a Mizzou fan, but I I don't think it's necessary. They've got it figured out right now with the squad that they have. And that's the case. Then you just stick it out with what they've got. And if he comes back, that's an added bonus. But you're right. I mean, he just hasn't been... It's not like you're you're lacking a Kobe Brown in what Mosley has brought this season. So I, I just think they've got the squad in place, and now you move forward with it, and whatever else happens is a bonus. All right, three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line from the two one seven guys. If you had to pick one team right now today, who would be your selection to win the NCAA tournament this year? Mizzou, M I Z Z O U. I don't think so. Oh. That was negative. It was really negative. They were down, what, 19 last night? Yeah, it was an impressive performance from them in the second half. Also, LSU is bleeping terrible. You need to jump on board Absolutely the bandwagon. terrible. I Sir. like Mizzou. I think they've got a chance to win a first round I don't like game. Mizzou. I love Mizzou. <laughs> if, they, uh, if they play well, they can beat anybody. The problem is they are very erratic. And <laughs> those three-point shots. <laughs> whether it's halves or games entirely where they just don't show up, if they're not shooting well, they have no chance. So I, I do not think they're oh. going to go far in the NCAA tournament, but they could. We know it's not Illinois. T-Bone, T-Bone. who's your, your team that you would select? I, I really like Kansas. I, Man. I know you hate that's to hear enough that. enough of that. No, that's, that was my team. That's who oh, I was really? going to pick, yeah. I, I really like Kansas. I also like Alabama. I, I think they're a team that could go on a run. Those are really the two that I like. Houston, I'm always skeptical of a team that doesn't play in a major conference. Gonzaga, I've always been skeptical of them when they get to the tournament. So I don't want to buy too much into Houston. And I, I think Purdue. UCLA is kind of my team. I like UCLA have the too. To do with this yeah. Year. Purdue, I, the Big Ten is so loaded and it beats itself up. The Big Ten's been disappointing the last handful of years. I think Purdue's going to disappoint again. I never trust Purdue in the tournament. Yeah, UCLA is kind of my team. I don't know why, but they just seem the, the three point, the defense that they provide, they're just, they seem like a team that's got it all in, in uh, made up for a run. I really like this Kansas team and it frustrates the hell out of me but uh, that would be my pick if I was picking one team to win the tournament this year unfortunately if I'm picking with my head and not my heart it would be KU uh, final thing here Alex from the 314 who's a little poppy can you tell us a little bit about oh. him how did you come up with the nickname can you explain where that came from Lil poppy is the next coming of David Ortiz in the Cardinals organization of course uh, the the thick hitter 
There's a thick kicker with the Mizzou Tigers, the yeah. thick hitter. With in, three C's, right? Yeah, three C's. Moises Gomez, ladies and gentlemen. Write his name down. Tattoo it on your forearm. Remember it. I, I wouldn't tattoo it on and, your forearm. And the reason Lil Poppy is his nickname is because everything about him, his first year or his, uh, final, his final year in the minors before he became an everyday major leaguer, identical to David Ortiz for Moises Gomez. So jump aboard, ladies and gentlemen, the next designated hitter for 162, Lil Poppy. Don't hold your breath. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll play a game of Believe It or Not. You give us a scenario. We'll tell you if we're believing it or not after T-Bone sings the song. But coming up next, we continue our countdown of the 20 most important players for the Cardinals in 2023 with number 19 on our list. Cardinals need somebody to step up in this specific spot. Is this going to be the player to do it? We'll tell you next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And now, the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2023 season on PK and Ferrario. Number 19, Zach Thompson. Held on to by Kisner and a strikeout for Thompson in his first of the night. When you do things like this, four up and four down, this is when your resume starts to climb in the eyes of Ali Marmol, Skip Schumacher, Mike Maddox. Zach Thompson is at number 19 on our list of the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2023 season with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley, where we had him ranked on our list. I had him at number 19. T-Bone was the highest of the three of us. He had him at number 16 on his list of the 20 most important Cardinals. Alex hates Zach, hates Zach Thompson. He did not have him on his list of the 20 most important players. The last players. two guys haven't been on my list. That's it, though. I think I was pushed out of this There was only two group. players that were different on any of our list. From here on out, every single one of the players that were on the top 18 were on all three of our lists. I'd hope so. If you're new to the segment, if you're not familiar <laughs> with the way that this works, we all put together a top 20 list of the most important Cardinals. We averaged them out together, and that's how we got to our final list that we are discussing today. Zach Thompson is at number 19. Alex, last year when he came up to the big leagues, who boy was he effective. 34 innings for the Cardinals over the course of the season had a 2.1 ERA strikeout rate was okay. Wasn't what you expected it to be based on what it's been at times in his minor league career. Walk rate was solid, but you look at some of the batted ball luck pretty good. And he was a little bit lucky, a little um, fortunate in the big leagues. When you look at the best case scenario for Zach Thompson for the Cardinals this upcoming season, what do they have in him? Top left-handed reliever out of the bullpen. That's what I look as the best case scenario for Zach Thompson. And the reason he didn't make my list is because it was a battle between he and Henesis Cabrera. And I still view Henesis Cabrera as the superior to Zach Thompson this season. But I think this is the final season for it because I wonder tinfoil style that if the Cardinals are still hoping they could stretch him out to be a longer arm, whether it's a starter or a longer reliever. Thompson? So, yeah, so I'm not 100% sold that he makes the team out of camp because of that. And that's why I went with Henesis Cabrera over Zach Thompson. But best case scenario, this guy is what Henesis Cabrera was the last couple of seasons. He's the go-to guy out of the bullpen as a lefty. Yeah, I, I put him on the list and I had him higher because I think the Cardinals need someone to take over as that swing and miss left-handed arm. And I, I don't know if Cabrera can get back to being that. He almost made my list, but I said, you know what? If I'm going to go with a left-hander, I need to go with one, and I'm going with the one that has upside. And I went with Zach Thompson. I, 
he needs to find a way to get that strikeout number back to where it was in the minors. I think he can still do it. I'm not saying that he can't. I I think he can, working with Dusty Blake this year, figure a way to get back to that. His fastball didn't have a lot of spin on it last year. Uh, you Look at his walks. His walks were higher than you were expecting, 3.6 yeah. walks per nine. So they need someone to take the reins and run with it in spring training. He's been impressive early on. He's got an uptick in velo, as we heard Katie Wu tell us. My hope is that he can end up taking that left-handed high-leverage reliever role. And Cardinals need somebody to do it because they weren't willing to go out to the market and sign someone like an Andrew Chafin who had experience, could do it. They're putting a lot of eggs in the basket of Zach Thompson, all these lefties that they brought in. They need someone to take that role, and I think Thompson's that guy. I heard an interview with Ollie Marmol the other day. He was talking with a reporter as the left-handed relievers were walking out to the field behind him. You could hear the click-clack of their cleats on that uh, pavement. And he said, oh, there's our left-handed relievers. That's a group that's going to be competing in spring for a spot. Zach Thompson is among that group. And my hope, my belief is that he can be the best of that group. Reason why is I don't know how many pitches the Cardinals have on their staff that are better than Zach Thompson's curveball. For as much as we heard in the minor leagues about um, Matthew Libertor and his curve and how effective it was, man, Zach Thompson's curveball when he got up to the big leagues was amazing. It was one of the best pitches that we saw from any Cardinals pitcher last year. So I want that coming out of my bullpen. I want him in that bulldog mentality in the high leverage innings. I felt like last year, especially when you saw what he did against the Cubs, that was the turning point in my mind of what I expected out of Zach Thompson. I went from, okay, maybe he's a lottery ticket for your rotation to this guy's a bullpen arm. And last year, I remember when they sent him down to AAA, the hope was he could go back to back. He could be utilized as an actual bullpen arm as opposed to a guy that was more in that long, long relief mode. I think this offseason, they told Zach Thompson, for now, maybe this changes in the future, especially next year when they've got an opportunity to replace some of their guys internally. But for now, you're a left-handed reliever for high leverage innings on our big league club. Prepare accordingly. That my, my hope is that he took that to heart and this spring training, he's going to be able to win that job. So that's why I had him so high on my list. Alex, worst case scenario for Zach Thompson is what? Worst case scenario is you can't trust him out of the bullpen. Worst case scenario for Zach Thompson is this is a setback year and they say we got to just give him more reps down in the minors. Honestly, it's kind of what Hennessy Cabrera went through last year. What does that mean for the Cardinals? If that happens, what's that mean for There's the Cardinals? There's a lot of uncertainty from the left side, but I think it hinges also on Hennessy Cabrera. If Hennessy Cabrera can provide them what they were hoping Zach Thompson could provide them, then I think it kind of offsets itself. But if you don't get anything from Hennessy Cabrera and don't get anything from Zach Thompson, you got a lot of this is why the Andrew Chafin conversation was so much in the offseason. You don't you have nobody you can trust out of the left side because I don't think Jojo Romero falls into that spot. You get to the point where you're asking yourself what it makes sense for the Cardinals to move a Steven Matz into the bullpen. And I don't see them doing that. So worst case scenario, the Cardinals are in trouble from the left side. Yeah, worst case scenario, he's enjoying that sweet barbecue down in Memphis because you're not going to see him a lot because the struggles are there and it is a setback. Yep. I I do believe he has the highest upside among the left-hand relief options. And I don't know if they can replace if he doesn't end up panning out because, yes, Cabrera might have the swing and miss, but Suarez really doesn't, who's on a minor league deal. Mezowich, who they acquired in a trade. The, sorry, Mezowich. Yeah. Sorry. Same thing. Uh, yeah, tomato, tomato. Yeah. They traded him for cash. Uh, I uh, Could have had Chafin for cash. Yeah, and Pacquiao, he's already out of the competition, getting roughed up in his first outing. Jojo Romero goes today like – 
Thompson, I, or I, excuse me, Thomas. You've got your Thomas. Boy Thompson. He's out yeah, he too. He got up. roughed up too. Like I, I just don't know if you see the swing and miss stuff if Thompson doesn't pan out. And Romero was too erratic last season. So, worst case scenario, he's spending. It's a step back year. He spends most of it in Memphis, and they have to go to the trade market to find that reliever. And they're going to have to give up a decent amount of capital to go get just a left-handed reliever for late-inning situations. I think they need one of Thompson or, and this is a guy that did not end up making our top 20 most important players list, either Thompson or Matthew Libertor needs to be that left-handed reliever for the Cardinals in 2023. The I, other name I'd throw in there real quick, he's not left-handed, would be Palante. Yeah, to fill that role of getting yeah. lefties out late in a game. I, I think one of those two guys for me needs to be somebody that they can rely upon for swing and miss, for the velocity, because I don't know so if you I you guys can... are officially out on Henesis Cabrera. I'm not out on him. I'm just worried. I'm just genuinely worried because when it goes for left-handed relievers specifically, it it is really hard to recapture that form. Sometimes it takes two or three years, and then they eventually re reinvent themselves, and they can become a different version of who they were. But especially guys that rely so heavily upon the velocity and the strikeout stuff, if that goes and you're not able to recapture it quickly, man, it it's really hard to get back. So I'm worried about Henesis Cabrera, and I do think they need a fallback option. In fact, I, I think in a best-case scenario, Henesis Cabrera is number two on that list of your most reliable lefty relievers for the entirety of the season. I would prefer it to be that way. I also think you just need two of those guys now. To, to be able to get through the full 162. Once you get to the playoffs, if you got one that you trust, that's fine. But for the regular season, I think you need two high leverage lefties that you can get through the season with. So um, I think Thompson's a super important player. He's at number 19 on our list of the 20 most important Cardinals for 2023. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Alex, yesterday The Athletic wrote that the 2023 NHL draft the most is the most comparable draft that we've seen to 2015 since then. If you don't remember the 2015 draft, it was pretty good. Connor McDavid, Jack Eichel, Mitch Marner, all were in the top five in that year's draft. What does that mean for the Blues and their pick? We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes. But next, it is Tanner's favorite segment of the week. Oh, yeah. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Believe it or not, coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. Suddenly I'm up on top of the world. Spring training for all of you. You guys feel like Tanner smoked three cigars yesterday. In an hour. Yeah, yeah. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. Flying away on a wing and a prayer. Who could it be? Believe it or not, it's just me. You guys feel like we do too much singing on this show? No, no, I, you know what? The that was easily we the great. worst performance I've ever heard from either of you. Can we restart this, T-Bone? No. I, I feel like, no. Let's just go, go through the entire was, thing one more time. I was doing my best late night diner like impersonation. Any of that. All right, Did yeah. not enjoy it. I think that our listeners deserve a better rendition of Believe It or Not than yeah, what Ferrario. they just received from us. You're the one smoking cigars, not I me, I still sir. sounded good. All right, let's go back. Let's get to the intro one more time. Let's get back to Believe It or Not. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Believe It or Not here on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I blame both of you for this. I can't believe it 
314 is feeling it. Love that song they said. Bing it. You're not singing aloud in your car. I don't know what you're doing. Truth. Sing it, ladies and gentlemen. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. Just me. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. That felt so right. But I believe it or not, it. here on 101 ESPN. No, I bet, uh, Wayno was listening to that between innings today. No, he's pitching right Down now. Down in man. Jupiter. No, no, I think they're between innings. No, no. Well, let's start with this from the 980. Guys, believe it or not, the Blues will not see the playoffs before the 2027 postseason. Jeez. Someone's eating negative Cheerios this morning. Not believing this. I'm... I'm skeptical for next year just because I don't know what the offseason looks like. Ask me after the offseason and I'd probably believe it. But in two years, they'll be back in the playoffs. In two years, they'll be back in the playoffs for sure. Three years, probably a Stanley Cup. 95%? 99%. That in two years, they're in the playoffs. I mean, they've got the pieces in place. Like I said, I could see them being in the playoffs next year. I don't know if you guys see how awful the Western Conference is this season, but it's really not that good. If the Blues had David Perron on their team, uh, we miss you, buddy. Probably would be pushing for a playoff spot right now. So they'll reassess their situation. A top five pick, Connor Bedard, probably makes them look even sexier next season. I could see them being in the playoffs next year, but back to competitive level, two years, I would guarantee that the Blues are there. Yeah, I'm not going to believe this either because that's a long time. That would feel more like a rebuild. And I... One, we've said this, the Blues don't have an appetite for that. And I do think they're going to try try and get this turned around. I agree, next year probably a little too soon. But in two years, I could see where they're back in that playoff picture and pushing for a playoff spot. So I'm not going to believe this. I'm not going to believe this either. That's too long. I don't believe that Doug Armstrong wants that to happen. And I think he's going to do whatever it takes to be able to get back to the postseason sooner than that. I, I think that would be a absolute disaster for the Blues. And I can't even imagine what things would look like for the organization if it really does take four also, years remember, for them to get back. In four years, the salary cap is probably going to be up by like $10 million. The, ex- the expectation is next year, not this offseason, but the following offseason. Things are supposed to get it back jumps to normal. Four or five mil, I think, in two years. Yeah, so things are going to change a lot in terms of the way the teams are able to build once again here in the next couple of years. All right, believe it or not, guys, Daniel Jones will get at least $45 million per year on his contract extension this offseason. Let's assume that he's going to sign an extension. Like, I think the most likely outcome for him is that he gets a franchise tag. But if he signs an extension, Alex, he gets 45 or more million dollars per year. Not believe it. The Giants know that they could get somebody cheaper than $45 million this year on a contract. So there's there's just no way Daniel Jones gets that type of contract. So I'm not believing it. I'm not going to believe it either because I think the Giants, are they kind of desperate for, are they desperate for a quarterback? Yes. Are they that desperate for Daniel Jones? No way in hell. So I, I don't think he's getting a $45 million extension from them. If he ends up going back to the Giants, he's going to have to settle for that 30 to $35 million deal. Otherwise, they're going to tell him, hey, we're going to go after Derek Carr. If you're going to say, I want $45 million, well, good luck out there in free agency. You're not going to get it. And then when you want to be a backup, call us, and we'll give you less than what you're expecting. Yeah, we're all on the same page. Sure, sweep it. I don't think he's going to get $45 million. I don't think anybody's that desperate. I think teams would rather have Jimmy Garoppolo, would rather have Derek Carr at like 30 to $35 million than Daniel Jones at 45. And if you're desperate, 
one, you shouldn't get $45 million to Jones. But if you're truly desperate at quarterback like some teams are, give up the assets to get Lamar yeah. Jackson and fully guarantee him a contract yep. rather than going, hey, 45 for Daniel Jones with 60 touchdown passes in his career. No. This is the one thing that I do think the Ravens are potentially messing up. Lamar does have real leverage here. It's very rare for any player in the NFL to have actual leverage. It almost never happens. Lamar Jackson is the rare player that does. He's won an MVP. He is considered to be a, even if you're low on Lamar, a top 10 quarterback in the league. If the Ravens aren't willing to guarantee that contract, somebody else will be. So if you're him, I I would consider like, whatever the necessary steps are in order to make sure that I get the contract that I'm looking for. Uh, All right. Believe it or not, guys, the record setting Cardinals Mets broadcast on ESPN was less about the rule changes and more about two marquee franchises that have real excitement playing against one another in spring training. I don't know if you guys saw this. ESPN has been touting these numbers. The Cardinals versus the Mets game the other day that was on ESPN uh, received the highest viewership for a spring training game. I believe it was in five years on ESPN. I do believe this. I think it was more about that being the Cardinals versus the Mets and being two fan bases that are genuinely hyped for the season. I don't think that says much about the rule changes personally. Where are you at on this? I'm a little bit of both, but I'll lean more towards believing it. I I do think the rule changes came into it because the common fans probably thinking this is my first opportunity to see the pitch clock. And I'm kind of curious what that looks like. And since that was the first national baseball game, if I'm not mistaken, people were probably excited to see baseball again. But because it was the Cardinals and Mets, two very uh, exciting teams in this upcoming season, I'll believe it. I'm going to believe it, too. I, I do kind of agree with you where it might be a little bit of twofold. But I think if you mostly turned on that game on ESPN, it was because you're one, excited to see what this new Mets team that spent millions of dollars in the offseason looks like. And two, you're excited about the St. Louis Cardinals. And then I think if you turned it on, I think the third reason you were excited and probably didn't even catch your attention until you saw it was, what does baseball look like with a pitch clock? Does Is the game faster, you know? You probably didn't see all the other rules really take place. Maybe you saw a little bloop hit and you were like, oh, okay, that got down because there wasn't a shift. But I think it's more so people are more excited about two teams that have some serious hype going into the season. Believe it or not, Adam Wainwright's velocity is going to be a problem for him this year. Did you guys see this? Adam Wainwright today, he's pitching right now for the Cardinals. It's a game that can't be seen on TV, unfortunately. Stupid baseball. He has topped out. I had to let that out. He's topped out so far at 86 miles per hour. That was his fastest pitch that he's thrown so far. His sinkers, 86, 85 and a half for a few of them. Um, He threw a four-seam fastball at 83 miles per hour, and then most of his cutters are coming in right around 80. Believe it or not, the velo is officially something worth being concerned about. I'm not going to believe this because I know this is very different than in years past, but Manuano knows what he's doing, and this is the time of year that you tinker with some things. And I know that he's not tinkering with his velocity. This is probably just where he's at in his career, but we do know for a fact that Adam Wainwright knows how to use what he has and it's worked for him in years past. So I'm sure people will be a little concerned about it, but I'm not there yet. So I'm not believing this. I'm going to believe it because I think it's kind of twofold one. Yes. I think I believe Wayno knows what he's doing because he's been doing it a long time. Problem is, I think this is just father time catching up potentially, and it's not something that he can truly fix. And maybe it is. We'll see. But and the second reason I'm going to believe it, and maybe the most important reason I'm going to believe it, is it's not a comfortable feeling to see it down three miles an hour in his second spring start. 
and he's this is his last one before he leaves for Team USA. So not a comfortable feeling in my mind that he's leaving the team now to go pitch in the World Baseball Classic to where the team could look at and try and fix it, and instead he's leaving the team to go play in a highly competitive tournament. I'm going to believe it. I'm a little bit concerned. I'm not freaking out by any means, but I am slightly concerned. Last year, his average velo for his sinker was 89, roughly, miles per hour. His four seam was sitting around 88. So this is a a pretty sizable drop from that. Uh, John Denton tweeted out a little bit ago that he talked with uh, Wayno on after his last start, and Wayno said that he is working through a few things, specifically with his delivery. He said he's got a little bit of a hitch on the backside of his deliver- delivery that he's trying to correct. I- I'm not going to believe this yet. It is not a concern yet. But given how his season ended last year, given the problem with his delivery at the end of the season that they said ended up resulting in the problems, it's at least worth monitoring. Um, So it is definitely something to keep an eye on. And a lot of people that are saying that Wayno is doing this on purpose, I don't buy that at all. I don't think Wayno is trying to throw 84 miles per hour. There's no real advantage in doing so. Um, him him having a drop in velo is is at least worth monitoring for the remainder of spring training. All right, coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into the junk drawer. In the 1 o'clock hour, we'll be talking to Mike Rupp, former NHL forward and Stanley Cup champion, now with NHL Network. We'll do that at 1.15. And, of course, it's a Thursday, which means can you beat the current or former Blues? This week, you're going former. up against, yet again, another former Blue in Nolachari. I promise we had this all set up and we were expecting a Stanley Cup run it's whenever true. we first started going through this. Uh, Nolachari was, we thought, going to be a big part of that. And now he's with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So it's really, can you beat the Maple Leafs today? Nolachari <laughs> coming up at one thirty. But coming up next, if the 2023 draft is actually comparable to the 2015 NHL draft, what does that mean for the Blues and their pick? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. There's about to be a new Connor on the block, okay? This kid is stupid good. He is disgustingly good. I would, if I was a fan of a team that is in the basement right now, I would just be praying to the hockey gods constantly that I get this guy because wherever he goes, it will be Bedard mania. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Jackie Redman of NHL Network a couple of weeks ago talking to us about Connor Bedard. And Alex, the only way you're getting Bedard is if you get the number one overall pick. Blues very much in that sweepstakes, but at a minimum, they're likely to finish with a top 10 pick in this year's draft. And according to The Athletic, that might be enough to get a franchise-altering level of player. Here's what they wrote about this year's draft on The Athletic yesterday. Quote, The draft class marks a decade of me doing this work, and I still believe 
that the 2023 group is rivaled only by 2015 among the talent pools that I have scouted to date. The 2023 draft class is led by three or four A-plus types of prospects at the very top. There is also a superb collection of high-end talents at forward behind them that are going to run deep into the first round and produce additional stars. There's also better depth on the defensive core and in the net than I anticipated when the year started. That comes from The Athletic. So let's go ahead and look back at what 2015 brought, because I think that it adds additional context of, okay, this year's class rivaled only by 2015. What did that become? Connor McDavid was the number one overall pick. That is the equivalent of Connor Bedard this year. That makes sense. That's one of the comps that people are having for Connor Bedard. Jack Eichel was number two. Then you've got Dylan Strom, Mitch Marner, Noah Hannafin, Pavel Zaka, Ivan Provorov, Zach Wierenski, Timo Meyer, Miko Rantanen. <laughs> That is a lot of talent, dude. All of those players went on to, at a minimum, become like quality NHL-level players. To add on to it, if you're going to go deeper into it, Matt Barzell was taken 16th overall. Kyle Connor was taken 17th overall. Brock Besser, 23rd overall. Travis Konechny, 24th overall. So, I mean, that also plays into the Blues having two later draft picks That if this is that deep of a draft. So, how long did it take those guys to reach the NHL? Because I think that's another question that a lot of Blues fans have is, Okay, great. You've got this first round pick, but we know that in the past, like you look at Zachary Bolduke, for example, or Jimmy Snugard, you're not expecting them to come up and immediately make an impact. You're waiting a few years to be able to get something um, out of them. Well, Connor McDavid came up and right away was on the roster and in his first year had 50 points. Zach, uh, uh, Jack Eichel, 56 points in year one, <laughs> right out of being in the, uh, from the draft. Hannafin had 22 points and was a like legit second-pairing defenseman right away in the NHL. Other guys, Marner, Provorov, Orinsky, uh, Rantanen, Zach, they all took a year. Uh, Meyer took two years, and then Strom was the only guy that was not in the NHL two years in. He ended up out of the top 10 picks taking three years, but again, ended up becoming a bad Arizona team. And he was a, he's become a solid NHL mm-hmm. level player. So the reason why I bring that up is because you've got about an 80% chance that within the next two years, you're going to see the guy that you pick in the top 10 this year. And within the next three years, the overwhelming likelihood is that guy's going to be contributing to winning. So as much as it does feel like it's going to take a while, if this class really does resemble 2015 for, for the blues, Man, they could get a good player that contributes to winning very quickly. That's why when we had the the believe it or not that they're not there till twenty twenty seven. If they get a pick in the top ten, if the top five actually happens, it could be there next year because of the quality. So I pulled a couple of snips from Scott Wheeler's piece on the Athletic, just describing the top four players because that's the best of the best. Sure. So we all know with Connor Bedard, but this is what Scott Wheeler said: "Quote, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Bedard can do things with the puck that nobody else in the sport can replicate. I'm not talking about him compared to other prospects in the draft. I'm talking about him compared to anybody in the NHL currently." Adam Fantilli, the potential second overall pick who's in Michigan right now. The best way to define him is the way one source described to me, quote, he's a horse. Six foot three, 190 something pounds. And that's like a 19 year old in college right now. Uh, Mikiev, who are Mikov, who's in Russia right now. Without hesitation, the best prospect I've ever ranked at number three in advanced of any draft wow. and the best Russian prospect since Alex Ovechkin on Jeez. talent, upside, pedigree. His game checks all the boxes. The fourth overall pick, potentially Carlson from Sweden. He's a big kid who's coming into his size, six foot three, 198 pounds. He's got slick handling, finesse at the forward size, regularly finds his way through traffic or around it by waiting out defenders one on one. 
that's just the top four. And they're saying that like you could get an NHL caliber player in the top 15. So the Blues, that's why that trade didn't happen for Jacob Chikrin. Because the Blues' worst case scenario is you're going to get ninth or 10th overall. Miko Rantanen was selected 10th overall. Timo Meyer was selected 9th overall. The player that the Blues are going to have the opportunity to draft, even if it's not Connor Bedard, is going to be somebody who could be impacting your NHL roster next season. And that's what's so fascinating about this draft because that changes a lot for Doug Armstrong. You know kind of what your top six looks like. And we were talking about the Pasternak's and the Larkins, and maybe you find a way to get one of those guys. You could have a Connor Bedard skating in your top six next season, which directs Doug Armstrong's offseason task to figuring out the defense because your top six could be stacked if you make a trade like this. If this is the way the draft is projected, the Blues are going to be looking really good, and those late picks are going to be a high commodity if for some reason one or two of those teams get bounced in the first round. So that's what I wanted to discuss because somebody said, sounds like they should trade their two picks for good NHL players and then make the top 10 pick. Absolutely. That's exactly what you do. I think that's Doug Armstrong's plan. Like If I had to guess right now, what is Doug Armstrong's offseason going to look like? I would be legitimately shocked if they trade this top 10 pick that they were able to get. Legitimately shocked. I think those other two first that they were able to get in return for O'Reilly and Tarasenko, that's what he's using to get that quality NHL caliber player right away. And then the top 10 pick is somebody that you're counting upon for the next wave of talent in your roster to be able to come up with Bull Duke and Stugrud. I think those three guys, probably a forward again in this year's draft, your hope is that that becomes a line that in tandem with Kairu Thomas and Buchnevich, that's your top six. Like that, That's the hope long term is that those guys can become that. Obviously, no certainty in it, though. The other thing that I would add to this, Alex, is right now you're at ninth in the NHL draft rankings. You are basically tied for all intents and purposes with Philadelphia and Montreal. So you're in that seven to nine range and you're like pretty strongly in that. And the reason why I bring that up is because Washington is currently in that 10th spot. They have 66 points on the season. And they still have Alex Ovechkin. You're ninth with 57. Mm -hmm. There is a wide gap. It's like a top nine and then everybody else right now. There's a clear-cut delineation between the two because you've lost six in a row. It is not all that hard to foresee a scenario where the car or the Blues, excuse me, end up sixth, like in the not-too-distant future. And their schedule... We're talking about the schedule for a very different reason than we used to. It actually helps them a lot in this regard if they continue losing. You play San Jose two of your next four games. Whereas San Jose in this regard, they're currently fourth. If they win those two games, they're at 52 points. You're at 57. Not as wide of a range as you would be expecting. You've got Arizona coming up three games from now. Arizona is currently in the fifth slot. If they win that game, they're at 53 points. You're at 57. You're within striking distance of a legit top four to five pick if you're able to lose your next four games. I know nobody wants to hear this. Nobody wants to continue losing. It yeah, sucks. Watching your team at lose that point is brutal. Now. But this is where we're at, dude. Mm-hmm. The best thing that can happen for the Blues, honestly, is what happened in that Seattle game. You saw some moments. You saw some flashes. Cappy was out there showing you exactly what you want to see out of him. I thought Robert Thomas had a much better game in that one. Um, you, you saw some moments, although not a great game overall, from Jordan Cairo. 
I think what you need to see from this team the rest of the way, Alex, the best case scenario, lots of losses the way that you did against Seattle, and hopefully you see some bright spots from the players that you're hoping to build around. Yeah, well, and for those that don't know, so uh, the maximum you can move in the NHL draft is top 10. So, I'm sorry, the maximum you can move is 10 spots. So, like, whoever is 11th, up or down. So whoever is 11th can move into the First overall pick. But if you're 12, 13, 14, 15, 16th, you can't get to that top spot. And, of course, the percentages drop. And, and I forget which year it was, but Chicago was like a 12th or 13th in the draft, and they moved up to three or four. So it happens. That's why as much as it sucks right now, you're kind of rooting for – you're rooting for growth – but you're also rooting for what Doug Armstrong said of we're going to lose games the rest of the way because we just don't have the talent to get us over the top because of what took place with this trade draft. So that's one element of it. The other element of it, too, is those other picks. And that's where the offseason gets so fascinating because you got Toronto's first overall first round pick this year, and it's unprotected. Toronto plays Tampa in the first round. It is very realistic that Tampa can beat Toronto in that first round, and you're talking about a 18th, 19th overall pick. You know what teams would do to get a 19th overall pick in the first round of this draft? A lot. The Rangers play the Devils in the first round. Now, that one's difficult because, remember, the Blues get the lower of the two. Dallas right now would be taking on Seattle, and I'd give Dallas the, the leverage. But what I'm saying here is it is very realistic that you could have a hypothetically a third overall pick, an 18th overall pick, and a 23rd overall pick. 23rd and 18th overall could get you a player that you desire and draft the third overall pick, and that's the retrenching that Doug Armstrong's talking about, but you really don't know until you get to that point. But the aggressiveness of Doug Armstrong this season with these trades is massive in what they can do this offseason. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, are you saying that it is unlikely that the Blues will be able to trade into the top 10 with their lower picks? Uh, Top 10 might be possible. Top 10 is possible. Top 3, you're not trading into. Somebody else asked us, like, if the Blues made their 6th overall pick plus New Garud plus other prospects or whatever available for, like, number top 3 pick, would that be possible? I don't think anybody, and we talked about this last week, is trading away from Connor Bedard. Like, you could offer yeah. everything. And I don't think that you're getting Connor Bedard because of the contract and because of the talent. Teams are just going to do everything that they can to be able to make sure that's the guy they're building around. Bedard, I think, is off the table. I don't know enough about the two through four to be able to say whether, like, a grandfather offer could get them. I would say the second overall pick is all but destined to be... Um, Adam Fantilli and I mean, Matty Beneers went second overall to Seattle. He played for the same team, kind of having the same season at Michigan. Uh, didn't play his first year, but this season he's leading all rookies in points. So number two is probably going to be off the table. So the, the best case scenario is you could try to get up to like three, four, probably. something like that. Yeah. And being totally honest, I just don't know how likely that is for the Blues. Your hope is that they're able to get there via the, the lottery. You want to win the lottery. That's yeah. what you want. And in order to give yourself the best chance to get those odds, you got to continue losing. Right now, the way that things stand as of today, the Blues have a 5% chance to get the number one overall pick. If they move up in the standings, like if they ended up fifth where Arizona's at right now, goes up to an 8.5% chance to be able to get up in the uh, up to the number one overall pick. That That's what you're hoping for. You're hoping to continue moving up this lottery board. 
And Alex, if I was the Blues tonight, I don't know if this is what they're going to do because they I know the coaching staff at a minimum wants to keep winning. The players are absolutely trying to win right now. If I was them, I would start Thomas Christ tonight. <laughs> I'm serious. Well, Thomas Christ has won games this season. He has. Jordan if I'm ben- them, I'm calling up Luke Witkowski. Dude, Jordan Bennington Dang. is the worst thing that can happen to you for a tanking team because that dude cares so much, and mm-hmm. I respect him for it, and God has he proved, like, don't look at the numbers. He has proven so much to me this year with the way that he's performed. And I know the last five games, he has lost all of them. That was not his fault. Yeah. The team in front of him is not giving him any opportunity. Thomas Grice, on the other hand, there have been moments where he has been the problem for the Blues. And if I was them, I would start him in the next two games against San Jose and the next game against Arizona. I would. I'd be totally I'd honest. i tell Thomas Grice, you're starting every game the rest of the season. I would not do that. But Every game! like, But you know what's going to happen? You, you've got the game against L.A., you can start against Columbus because, let's be honest, they're not moving out of that top two or three spots. Have fun at that game, by the way, buddy. Arizona and San Jose? <laughs> Yikes. Those are Grice's nights. Grice's got this. Yeah. yeah. You know what's going to be interesting, too, is if they do, for some reason, move Grice at the trade deadline, Joel Holfer's going to be up at the NHL and going to get reps for Joel Holfer. I'm not trading him. For me, Thomas for Grice? Grice is too valuable. I'd rather be playing. If I'm going that <laughs> he's, route, he's I, too valuable. No, 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 no. no. If I'm if I'm going that route, I'm playing Joel Hofer over Thomas Grice. I, because Joel the Hofer, problem, the is, problem is Hofer might become something in the future. Well, yeah, but not in his first season with this defense in front of him. <laughs> what I'm saying we is, we gotta be freaking Patrick Wah and Marty Brodeur. I don't want to ruin him. I don't want to yeah, ruin him because be you, you could create like really bad habits yeah, because of what's true. in front of you right now. Thomas Grice, I'm not worried about bad habits. In fact, create more of them. Poor, poor TG. He thought he was coming to a team going for a cup, and now he's going to be their best chance. But this is why the draft is so fascinating to me, because, and this is why I truly believe it's a conspiracy theory, because oh, any God. team that's going to yeah. tank the rest of the way isn't going to get that first overall pick. The team that tries, Gary Bettman's going to make sure they win that one. I don't believe that at so all. So that's why... There are no market, teams that are trying. Mark it down right now. Right, the Chicago Grandpa. Blackhawks will not get the first overall pick. Oh, because they're tanking? Because they're tanking. The so, Anaheim Ducks will not get the first overall I'm pick. I'm asking this in all sincerity, Alex. Who in the top 10 picks right now is not tanking? Like, I, I'm being totally... I, th- I, mean, I, I don't, don't remember a time where I've seen this many teams... I wouldn't view the Blues as a tanking team. What have you been watching? <laughs> Yeah, but there's a difference between looking at what the Blackhawks are doing and look at what the Blues were doing. The Blues were situational where they believed they were going to try and win it, and it didn't work, and they got rid of the UFAs. Chicago traded Alex Dabrinkit off of their roster, who had a 40-goal season okay, so at I, the draft. I get it. The, the, the entirety of the season, the yeah, Blackhawks have done what the Blues what are doing saying. for the second half. The entirety but. of the season is the tank okay. mode. I'm talking the short sample size. That's why, again, tinfoil, I mean, Arizona me, will not win the draft this year. You've never had me rooting for Chicago or Arizona oh, to win the, the same lottery way. more. Grant's uh, the same way. Well, you're both crazy. I'm telling you. Chicago, Arizona, Anaheim will not win the first overall pick this year. Columbus can get it. St. Louis tanking. Well, but they didn't Nobody's start the season. They spent Columbus. all the money for Johnny Goudreau. Now, the only, the only way that I could add more conspiracy into my conspiracy is Arizona's got their new arena coming, and they want to make sure that people like Arizona. So I could see it. That's just blasphemy. Thomas Grice should start every game down the stretch. Coming up in 10 minutes, <laughs> are you rooting for the Padres to be able to actually win with the way that they're building right now? Or are you rooting for them to fail spectacularly? I don't think there's a whole lot of in-between for most fans across Major League Baseball. We'll talk about it coming up at the top of the hour. But next, the Junk Drawer here on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer. T-Bone, what do you got for us today? Guys, I found another uh, hot dog violation what? that I don't support. It's bad, man. It's bad. It is a... Is it you eating hot dogs dog. at night for dinner? No, man. A hot dog a day corn keeps dog the is not away. a hot dog. Yes, it's got a hot dog in it. It's not a bun, though. It doesn't matter. It's a fried hot dog. It's a, it's a hot dog violation is what I found because it's a pickle... Corn dog, essentially, where it is a hot dog wrapped around in a pickle, Ooh. fried to be a corn dog. That sounds delicious. That's disgusting. I love me some fried pickles. You put a hot dog in there? I am in. Oh, gross. Some mustard on that puppy? Where's this at, T-Bone? This was at a fair. I can't remember where at. I saw it on uh, just Instagram fair. when I was just scrolling through. Ooh. I just took a screenshot of it, but it's a corn dog wrapped in a pickle. Man. Nasty. I'm in. I'm in. That disgusting. sounds delicious. It's Disneyland. Fried pickle corn dog. So here's the problem. Man, if it was Disney World, I'd be in. So they put the hot dog inside of the pickle. My concern with this would be that the hot dog doesn't get the crunch around the outside. Personally, I like a little bit of a snap whenever you bite into that hot dog. I don't know that this would get it. I think this would be a little too moist on the outside with the hot or with the. You don't like a moist hot with dog. The pickle? Uh uh-uh. uh. Nope. I don't. I don't like the wet. I don't you're, like. You're doing the hot, hot dog, dog wrong, man. Mm-mm. Pickle pickle hot dog just sounds good. Now that you sounds like fried good. pickles. I mean, like I'll, I like I'll, fried pickles. So but what's not, the difference? It's I a fried relish. pickle with a hot dog. I put relish on yeah, my hot dog. I, I put relish, but isn't pickle and relish kind of like no, a it's different the same. taste? It's literally relish. Yeah, it's a different taste, I think. Uh, I think a there's a little bit more separate. sweetness yeah. maybe yeah. to the to the relish, but and like I lo- I love a fried pickle, but I don't want it with a hot dog. Mm. Man, I want to try this. Yeah, this doesn't look good to me. See, Alex, I'll I'll show you this picture. I think that the hot dog looks a little like undercooked almost as a result of cooking it this specific way. I, no, I, th- I disagree with that. I think you're going to get the crunch in the pickle. The pickle's getting fried and you're going to get the crunch with it. The hot dog's going to be cooked well, yeah, too. I think the hot dog's a little underdone as a result of this. Now, you know what I, I think you could maybe do? Get rid of the pickle. Maybe you cook the hot dog first and then you stuff it inside of the pickle. You grill up the I, hot dog. So make sure you I, get that be, crunch on the outside. Push it inside of that pickle, but it might still get moist. The outside, but you're gonna have a cooked moist hot dog. That's all right. As long as it's got that snap to it, that crunch. But you gotta make sure it's tucked in really well too. Correct. Otherwise, it's not gonna taste. I think that's the only way you can do it. Yeah. I'm out on that. But you guys want to know something else? I found a quote unquote food glitch I saw on Twitter yesterday. No, man, because you got bad food takes. This is a phenomenal piece of food. Someone tweeted out the best way to reheat pizza, and the way they did it was they took a cold slice of pizza and they put it like in a. saucepan i would call it or a baking kind of pan put it on the oven and they put some water on it or water in the pan with it heating cover it up and it cooks the pizza that way oh, that's disgusting. The, pizza. the pizza gets soggy 
That's what I think too. In the oven, I guess I'm trying to no, understand. No, so on it's top on top of the oven. Of the oven. On top so of it's the on stove. like a. So you put it in a pan and you put water in the pan. Yeah. And then you put the hot, the pizza slice in the pan with the water and if the, the water, water boils. Yeah. yeah. I can't tell if it's water. I think it's water. It Are you sure it's oil. not like oil? But it doesn't. It's like clear. So I don't think Maybe it's, it's oil. It could be like olive oil. Olive oil is not clear. Yeah. So I think it's water. Barstool Sports is where I saw this at. And it just, That's not that the just proper way to right. warm up pizza. The proper no, way to warm up no. pizza is you don't warm up pizza. Oh, no, that's you eat cold, it cold pizza's gross. Oh, man. I can't get behind that. Again, that bad food take. I w- would, oh, yeah, no. Cold pizza. No. You're and insane. I wouldn't do this either. I I would just either throw it back in the oven or put it in the microwave. I would Ooh, put no it microwave. The, I think you could put it in the oven, and I think part of what this is is it's trying to keep the, the moisture to keep the in moisture it. in the pizza, but the problem you is can, if you put it in water, it gets soggy. Yeah, you can put like a... I mean, you'd have to get a specific type of thing to, to put it in there, but you could get like a cup to put inside of the oven with just water that would. Yeah, I, I do that. And that allows you to keep the moisture in there. I but, do that for like rolls when you bring it home from like, going out to eat. You put it in the microwave with a cup of water and the roll sure. doesn't get like because the problem is you put pizza in a microwave. You got a very small window to eat that pizza before it becomes like a brick. This is a lot of work to just put the damn pizza in the oven and warm it up or eat it cold. Yeah, I think you could put a little bit of water in there, and if you like elevate the pizza somehow, I don't know what you would specifically do. Put it like, on a plate or something. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's the way that you could make this work, and then it would work really well. Um, but yeah, I, I've never done it that way specifically. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're talking to Mike Rupp, former NHL forward and Stanley Cup champion, now with NHL Network. Want to get his thoughts on the big uh, trade deadline news that we've seen over the last few days? What's left? What is left for teams to be able to go out there and acquire prior to tomorrow's deadline? We'll talk to Rupp about that in about 15 minutes. But next, are you rooting for the Padres to be able to win with the way that they put this team together? Do you hate them? How do you feel about the Padres? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got three players now signed into their age 40 seasons, and that's Xander Bogarts, Machado, and Hugh Darvish. So he's taking a big risk here. And let's not forget, he's still got Juan Soto on that team that he's got to, if he wants to keep him, extend him at what will probably be the largest contract of all time. And there's no doubt he's going to at least consider going after Shohei Otani. So this thought that the Padres have done all their work and now they're just going to go with this for the next five or ten years, that's not how it's going to work. They're going to keep going and keep building and keep spending money. That was Tim Kirchin on ESPN Radio a little while ago. Since then, they, of course, added you know Manny Machado uh, on a long-term deal as well. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Alex, the Padres have now committed two hundred and fifty million dollars to their payroll for this upcoming season they have superstars all across their lineup manny machado xander bogarts fernando tatis jr um they are a team i they i didn't even mention the fact that they traded last year uh for one of the best players in baseball in juan soto you look at the back end of their bullpen they've got josh Hader, who was considered to be one of the best closers in baseball for quite some time you look at their rotation and they've signed all those guys up for long term as well Alex, I was reading a piece over on Sports Illustrated last night about the Padres, and as I continued to read it, all I could do was sit there and say, man, I really hope they win a World Series. And I know that would come at the expense of the Cardinals. I know, I know. I'm not saying this year, but I hope that this gets rewarded. 
And the reason why is because their owner has shown not just with his words, but with his actions that he is genuinely committed to winning. And this may, it very well could blow up in their face. Like this could, they couldn't not win a world series and six years from now you're stuck with some horrible contracts where you've got 36 year old Manny Machado 37 year old Xander Bogarts at that point who knows what Fernando Tatis Jr. is at that point in his career he could be a guy that can't stay healthy he's underperformed and you can't trust him off the field who knows it could be a disaster but when I read these quotes Man, I feel myself rooting for him. And I'm curious if this is the case for others as well. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let me read you a couple of the excerpts from this piece over on Sports Illustrated from yesterday. Quote, there's never been a major championship in this city ever, the Padres owner said. We'll listen, uh, we listen really carefully to our market. And what we, that we have heard is this. If you give us something to support, we're going to rise up. We'll be there in full force. So we thought... If we make aggressive moves, our community will respond equally aggressively and it'll make sense and it'll help us win. And that's what we've seen so far. Padres players, according to this story, are thrilled. Quote, that's how you've got to be if you want a bleeping win, says uh, Musgrove, who grew up about 20 minutes away from the ballpark. Quote, you can't compete with teams like the Mets, the Dodgers and the Yankees who are going to go out there and spend millions upon millions of dollars. If you're not also on that level, you can go on runs like Cleveland did. But realistically, the ability to be there year after year and compete for that spot, that World Series, it's tough to keep that up without spending the way that we have. Again, that comes from one of the players on the Padres and Joe Musgrove. Alex, when you yourself look at what they've done, the way that they have constructed their roster, are you rooting for them? Are you hoping that they fail? How, how do you internalize what they've done? I'm not rooting for them because here's my thought process with it. They have success. Everyone around Major League Baseball decides to adopt that mentality except the Cardinals. Because I don't think the Cardinals are going to change their ways. They're set in how they want to go about things. Even with John Mosellock stating this offseason that, yeah, you know what, we might have to adapt a new theory with kind of how our roster construction is. That's not going anywhere because of the DeWitts. That's where it's always going to stay. Develop, draft, and find those pieces internally. And I would hate for this to work with the Padres, other teams in the National League say, you know what, we got to start thinking this way. This is how you win championships. And then the Cardinals are the team left there saying, nope, we're going to stick with our own ways. And then they become that team that's just unwilling to adapt to a new situation. So I, I find myself not rooting for the Padres because I just, I don't like the way they go about it. See, I, I don't mind looking at them and kind of rooting for them because I don't think it's going to get to a point where teams are going to emulate that, like the smaller market teams, because that's who I'm focusing on, like Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, to where they're spending crazy money like the San Diego Padres are. I don't think those teams will ever do it, but I do think it will motivate them to spend more. And I I, I think it will, if they see success there, they'll go, okay, we've been holding money, maybe. Uh, We've been holding money back. Let's go ahead and spend more, see if we can draw more interest, because San Diego, not only are they bringing in fans and are they winning, but their value as a franchise is going up. And my hope would be that other small market teams would see that and go, okay, we don't have to spend money like that, but we do need to increase our payroll, and they would be willing to do it. And and I do believe if, say, money started flying like crazy in the MLB, I do think the Cardinals would adjust. I I do think the DeWitt family would open up the wallet a little bit more to help things out. So I, I find myself rooting for San Diego just because I think the sport is better off by having smaller market teams willing to spend money and put competitive teams on the field. The reason why I'm rooting for it is because 
if this works for them, and I'm talking about like being able to continue to spend this way and maybe not going out and getting Shohei Otani next year and then still sustain. I, I don't know how that's possible, but neither here nor there. If they show that it can work, I mean, San Diego is the 27th biggest market in the country. This is not L.A., Chicago, New York. As much as San Diego feels like a glamorous spot to live in, it certainly is. It's not a particularly large market. It's the little brother to Los Angeles in terms of market size. And if you're one of the markets that you mentioned, Tanner, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, something like that, if you see that it works in San Diego, what's your excuse? Like, how can you sit there and say to your fans with a straight face, we can't do that? Why? Why can't you? What is the difference between us and what San Diego has done? It's not Why? can't. It's we won't. We don't want to. Exactly. That's what it becomes. It will now be seen as a clear and obvious excuse as opposed to an explanation. Right now, a lot of these teams around Major League Baseball can hide because they say this is an explanation on why we can't spend the way that the Yankees, the Cardinals, the Braves, all of these other teams do. If the Padres make this thing work, and I don't know if they will or not, but this is why I'm rooting for them, that excuse is gone. And I'm with you, Tanner. I don't think that this is something that St. Louis fans should be pointing to because the Cardinals have a very clear model on what they're going to do. And to be fair, they've spent top 10 to 12 in all of Major League Baseball ball on payroll for like the last 15, 20 years. So it's worked for them, and they're not super cheap. I would like them to go a little bit further, extend themselves maybe, but they've done a pretty good job over the last two decades. Other teams, though, I do think will look to other teams' fans, will look to the Padres and say, explain this to me. Why are you not willing to do what they're willing to do? You don't have to go spend $250 million, but can you get to 100 Oakland? Can you get to 150 Baltimore? Those are the kinds of things that I do think will be legitimate questions to ask of different ownership groups if this works in um, San Diego for the Padres. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, play game of Can You Beat the Blues? If you are texture number 55, 56, 57, and 58, you will be our contestants this week in the game of Can You Beat the Blues? All you got to do, text 314-399-9646 and just say, I can beat the Blues. You'll be going up against Noel Achari this week. The winner will win a signed puck by Noel Achari and a couple of Blues tickets as well. We'll get to that coming up at 1.30. Mike Rupp, former NHL forward, now with the NHL Network, joins us next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Group and Celebrity Line to be joined by our guest, Mike Rupp. He's the former NHL forward, a Stanley Cup champion, and you can see him on NHL Network's NHL Tonight. NHL Network will have 10 straight hours of live trade deadline coverage tomorrow, beginning at 9 o'clock Central tomorrow morning. Looking forward to seeing that. Mike, we appreciate the time. As always, man, how you doing today? I'm doing well. I mean, that seems like a tall task. I don't know if there's going to be any trades tomorrow, guys. I'm not going to lie. Hey, I'm a, a little... long time on air. I might have to have you guys call in and talk to you guys. <laughs> hey, we're okay with that. I'm a little con- concerned for you guys with no trades taking place. But, Mike, I, I do get a bone to pick with you, man. Uh, you-, you spent a lot of time over these last few weeks trying to get Timo Meyer to New Jersey. What the heck, man? We would have liked him here in St. Louis. Yeah, I mean, I felt like I was 
on to something. I was going to look like a genius, and all of a sudden I see the St. Louis Blues clearing cap space. I'm like, oh, no, they're coming, they're coming. And uh, so, you know, you got to post a couple clocks ticking, send it to Devil's Way on, on Twitter, and uh, they ended up getting it done. But, uh, you know, it was this was a guy that I, he's extremely, extremely over, or sorry, underrated. Um, you know, he's, he's a power forward and there's, those guys are few and far between. You get a, your, your chance at them. You gotta, you gotta make a run. And unfortunately for the devils, they got him. You mentioned it, Mike. You're not sure how many trades there are going to be tomorrow. That's one thing that I wanted to discuss with you. What's left? Like who are the big, uh, pieces that could still yet to be moved before the trade deadline? Cause this has been about as active as we've seen at the NHL trade deadline. And we still got about 24 hours to go. Yeah, I think as far as like UFAs, if you're a pending UFA still and you're out there, even if it was, uh, I don't know, a lot of times it's like not even if you were a hot commodity on the market, a team's going to sit there and look and be like, hey, we're going to get rid of this guy. Like if you're not making the playoffs, like, you know, we see if we can get something for him um, in a lot of situations. But now we're starting to see players with term get moved because I think there's been so much action. And I also think that there's some teams out there um, I mean, geez, I, I think the Pittsburgh Penguins are a little bit in this category too. I think they've been waiting. I think Carolina, they, some of these teams have kind of been waiting for these prices to drop, and they haven't. And so now all of a sudden, it, all the all the the headliners are all been gone and and traded. Now it's like they're just trying to make a move. I think in in some way, shape, or form for a little bit of job security, right? Like you're sitting there, like, well, I got to do something, right? And uh, so I think we'll start seeing that. I mean, there's still some teams out there that, that everybody knows they need to do something here and, and, and try to shore up their team. And there's not a ton of options out there, so I think you've got to be creative. But we'll, we'll see moves tomorrow. It'll be, it'll, be, uh, it'll be some movement out there. But, I mean, geez, with the excitement we've had so far, uh, I've never seen anything like it. I legitimately have never seen anything like that we've seen in the last probably three weeks. I'm the same spot as you, Mike. I mean, it really surprised me how many trades that we saw take place. And it's pretty obvious that the Eastern Conference feels like, look, we got to go all in because everyone else is doing that. But from the St. Louis perspective, Mike, you mentioned there are still teams out there that feel like they've got to make a move. And I'm thinking more on the defensive side. And there's been a ton of rumors surrounding the Blues with guys with term, whether it's Pareko or Krug or Nick Letty. Can you see a team finding a way to make a deal for one of those guys by tomorrow, or do you think that might be more of an off-season move? So, um, first off, what the St. Louis Blues have kind of decided and what they've gone through in the last little while, um, you know, I'm not just saying this because I'm on with you guys. Like, I respect the, the heck out of, uh, of Army, um, Doug Armstrong, for what he's doing here. It's a tough thing to do. There's not many GMs in the league that – that have that conviction and that read and feel of their team to do what's right. Um, we've seen them do it before. I mean, we remember a few years back when they traded Paul Stasny to uh, the Winnipeg Jets, and they, I think the, the, the Blues off the top of my head, I think they were like two points out of the playoffs at the time. And it's like, what, what are you doing? But it's like he, he, knows, he knows where his team's at and kind of what his team is. So um, – I applaud the moves that he's made up to this point and trying to turn this thing around quick, right? So next year this team can bounce back. I think that next wave now is you freed up, and that's why that Timo Meyer talk was very intriguing too because I'm like, oh, my gosh, with the moves they made, they freed up some, some, some cap room and some space here. Like if they can get Timo Meyer, which unfortunately they didn't, but they're still a team that has 
you know, Jordan Cairo, Robert Thomas, Pavel Bushnevich, like these guys are age appropriate with one another. The next project is the decor. And I don't feel like one of them will probably be moved right now. Um, the, the big one that we're always hearing is Colton Prego. It's a big contract. Um, I, I think that they'll have more dance partners in the, in the summer at the draft. And so I, I think that that would probably be a better chance of that happening then. Um, as far as another defenseman on that team that they could possibly move, I, I think there's, I think there's a lot of teams out there that are intrigued by, by Nicoletti. You know, he, he moves well and he has been for a long time in this league, but, uh, um, as far as the big one, the, the big contracts there, I think it probably summertime is, is going to be more realistic. Mike, from your perspective in, in watching this Blues team this season, it's been really surprising for a lot of people that it's gone this direction. But Doug's made it very clear he doesn't want this to be a rebuild. He thinks this is going to be a quick turnaround. How do you go about that if you're him when you look at this defensive core? How do you go about finding a way to flip this around quickly and also making sure you're making the right decision on the defenseman to move? Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. I mean, you gotta, you've got to. If this is a a decor that you you want to change, you know, you might have to take a step back. To, you know, two steps back to take a step forward, or however that phrasing goes. I think I got that one way <laughs> wrong. Well, you guys are what I'm saying. It might be something today that you're like, ooh, I don't know about that, but it's going to free up something. That's the, they need to free up and get some flexibility so they can do something near on the back end and um you know it's uh they're they're a team that um listen we've seen the last couple seasons the emergence of jordan Cairo, robert thomas has been a great plus like this is the next the next wave right and it's now that's why even craig brube calling out the team the other day like you know this team's going through it right now and he doesn't want this to linger he needs his captain just left his captain's out the door the team has been the, the team that won, and, and you're seeing these pieces move. It's an emotional, raw time, but also, like, you got to start building these guys into the mold that you want, and, and there's leadership that's available there. So I, I think that they're going to put the pressure on these younger players to grow up real fast and, and to lead. And then Doug Armstrong will do his job in trying to turn the soil on this roster. But, uh, no, I don't, I, I don't believe that. I thought they would be better this year. I think most people did. Um, but I don't think they're far off. I think they're uh, they're going to be active, and they're, they just got to free up something. And again, it might be something where you feel like I don't know if that was good or not. Uh, but I think as you see time pass, they'll make the right decisions to move forward. We're talking to Mike Rupp, one of our favorites here on 101 ESPN. You can check him out on NHL Network, the former NHL forward and Stanley Cup champion. Tomorrow on NHL Network, we'll have 10 straight hours of live trade deadline coverage beginning at 9 o'clock Central. Uh, Mike, one of the things that we've been talking a lot about, and it's really more of an off-season discussion, but I want to get your thoughts on it, is what the Eastern Conference, this bidding war that has taken place and really an arms race that has taken place in the East, what that's going to mean for off-season decisions for some of these teams. I mean, you look at Toronto loading up, the Rangers loading up, Boston and what they've been all season long. One of these teams is going to end up losing in the first round, and when they do, there's going to be real disappointment for that fan base, for that front office. What do you think this is setting up for in the Eastern Conference with whoever it is that ends up losing? Well, every team's different. I mean, if Toronto loses, that whole regime is out. I mean, they're, they're going to go new GM, new coach. They're probably going to 
take apart the top four as far as uh, Nylander, Tavares, Matthews, and Marner. Uh, I have a feeling someone's going to be out. They're going to have to find another way. It's going to be a it's going to be a complete change if they lose in round one. I believe. Um, you know, I, the Boston Bruins. I think Boston has looked at this historic pace that they've been on this season. They realize like we got to pull out all the stops right now. Like this is, I mean, this is one of the better seasons you're ever going to see that they're having. So, um, you know, I think they're just all in. And what that means for them moving forward, we'll have to see. I mean, there's still some uncertainty with Patrice Bergeron. I mean, they just signed David Pasternak today, so that was huge. But it's going to look a little different in Boston after this year, but I don't think they care. They want to get this done now and and win their first cup since 2011. Uh, The New York Rangers are one that they're actually in a really good spot, I feel like, because the moves that they made – Getting Tarasenko, um, you know the the moves that they made uh, to get Patty Kane. You know both of these players are on expiring contracts, so I don't know where it goes with those players in particular. But they didn't have to give up a, a lot of their what they have going right now. This is still an up and coming team, um, so I, I think they'll be just fine. And uh, it'll be interesting what decisions they make. But you're right. I mean, there's a lot of movement. There's a lot of picks and and prospects getting thrown out west. Uh, maybe we'll see a, a change in the tide in the next over the next few years out west because right now this this Eastern Conference is just an absolute juggernaut. If some of those teams have to blow it up this offseason, Mike, because it didn't work out, and thinking mostly of Toronto, but there are a lot of other teams like you mentioned. Does that make Doug Armstrong a dangerous man this offseason? Yeah, I, I think you go into it and you, you want to approach free agency with with some options, right? You want to have some, um, some salary cap freedom to do things, but at the same time, you get the free agency is always a tough spot because you're paying a premium for players, right? Like if you can get players in trade and, and, and you can get players with some, um, some, some, uh, you know, uh, salary, uh, um, you know, consistency over the next number of years, having term on them, on their contracts, that that's where it becomes appealing for, for general managers. Cause they're like, okay, we can acquire this guy. And we know he signed for the next three years at this rate or two years at this rate. Um, you know, UFA uh, during that time, I, I put it this way. I'll clean up what I'm about to say. If you go and get a player via UFA and free agency, you should not go into that thinking that now we're ready and now we're ready to go. This is getting us over the top. Like, I feel like that it's, those are, you're going to overpay in free agency. So you gotta be, you gotta be careful in those moments. But I think Doug Armstrong's going to try to give himself options. He's going to try to change his decor in any way he can and and add to this group. And, um, you know, they already started that process and and we'll see how they, uh, what's what decisions they make in the leading months. He's Mike Rupp. You could check him out again on NHL Network tomorrow. They're starting 10 straight hours of live trade deadline coverage. Hopefully they got a bunch of activity to be able to discuss. <laughs> that starts tomorrow at 9 o'clock Central. Mike, we appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Hopefully we'll talk with you again soon. Awesome, guys. Have a good one. Thanks, Thanks Mike. Same to you. That's Mike Rupp, Stanley Cup champion, NHL Network analyst as well. Alex, I think if you're a Blues fan, you should be rooting for two things the rest of the way. Number one, and I feel bad saying this because I love Ryan O'Reilly and I want nothing but success for him. I hope they get swept in the first round yep. of the postseason. That That is a double whammy for you because you get a better pick and they're blowing it up. I, I think that is the, the single best thing that can happen for the Blues the rest of the way 
potentially is that. Two, you want the Blues to lose, unfortunately. I know that's, uh, again, hard to root for, but that's long-term the best thing for your organization. And then in the offseason, man, I you will never hear anybody shout from the mountaintops for anything more than Alex Ferrario is going to be shouting for William Nylander to be the next St. Louis Blues winger. Yep. Like that will 100% be happening if welcome, they decide to blow it up in Toronto. Welcome to my next uh, Mr. 95%. I mean, he's 26 years old, one more year before he's a UFA. They're going to have to pay him a lot because he's a great player. They've got Austin Matthews, who's going to be a free agent at the same time. Tavares' contract is going to be tough to move. You're not moving on from Mitch Marner. Oh, yeah, you're blowing it up. And the Blues, imagine how uh, easy of a deal that would be for St. Louis if they called up in Toronto and said, hey, look, you got to get rid of this guy. We've got your first round draft pick, and you guys are going to be drafting close to top 16, top 20. Easy swap right there for you. And probably Colton Pareko. If we're being totally honest, they're a team that makes a ton of sense for Colton Pareko. They could really use a a top-pairing defenseman, and for all of the questions that we may have in St. Louis about him being a number-one defenseman, he can be a top-pairing defenseman for somebody. He's just got to have the right partner. We've talked about that for uh, a ton of time now here locally. I I think he would make a lot of sense for them. If you had like a Colton Pareko plus a first-round pick type of package, for William Nylander, who's on an expiring deal, and then the Blues could re-sign him long-term, and yet it's going to be a lot of money. But you're talking probably $9 million bucks, something like that long-term uh, for Nylander. The one tough thing is that may take you out of the Pavel Buchnevich extension talks. But that's another conversation for another day. I think that is that is one thing that the Blues should be rooting for the rest of the way is for oh, yeah. uh, Toronto to mess this up somehow once they get into the postseason. Not sure it'll happen, but man, it's going to be tough. They're going to have to go up on. against Andre Vasilevsky, though, in the first round. And on top of that, uh, a, a team that's going to have a lot of grit with their game now that they got Tanner Jeannot. And I can still see Tampa making some other type of move before the end of the deadline tomorrow. In 15 minutes, we'll be hitting the BK and Ferrario Rewind. T-Bone, do we have our contestants set for Can You Beat the Blues? We do. We've got our four contestants. You are going up against Nolachari this week. The winner will have a signed puck by Nolachari and will get a pair of tickets to March 19th's game against the Winnipeg Jets. We play a game of Can You Beat the Blues next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You have what it takes to beat the Blues. Now's your chance. Can you beat the Blues? Presented by Two Men in a Spa Dolly. Great deals on in-stock hot tubs and swim spas. Count that, that big He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is time for Can You Beat the Current or Maple Blues. <laughs> right now, we are going to be joined by Joe, Joe Tom, Brandon, Brandon, and Brett. Those are the four contestants today. They will be going up against Nolachari, the former St. Louis Blues forward. Uh, we are just really doing well here. We and now we've established Barbashev. that we're rooting against him, so... We had Ivan Barbashev. We had Ryan O'Reilly. We are going up against Noah Chari. Uh, later on, I'm sure we'll go up against Colton Pareko or Tori Krug. <laughs> Stay <laughs> tuned to tomorrow at 3 p.m. trade deadline. We've got both of them scheduled. So we'll <laughs> see what ends up happening there. So right now, we are going to be joined by our first contestant. That is Joe. Joe, have you heard the game before? Do you know how to play Can You Beat the Blues? 
Yes, sir. All right. The game is very simple. If you guys are unfamiliar that are in the listening audience, it goes like this. Joe is going to have 15 seconds to name as many things as he can with any specific specific category. He will then go head to head with Nola Chari in that category. We'll see who ends up getting more. The margin, the largest margin at the end of this between our four contestants will get a signed puck by Nola Chari and a pair of tickets to March 19th's game for the Blues against the Winnipeg Jets. Joe, your first category to kick things off today against Nola Chari is TV shows. A very simple name as many TV shows as you can in 15 seconds. On your mark, get set, go. Family Guy, Simpsons, South Park, How I Met Your Mother, Friends, The Office, The British Office, um, Monday Night Football. Are we giving Monday Night Football? Yeah, it's a show. It gets ratings. I would say that it works. Okay, so that's eight for, I got for Joe. I've got eight for Joe as well. Alex, I feel like you and Joe watch the yeah. same television Joe, show. you and I should hang out sometime, buddy, because you and I have the exact same taste. You started Family Guy. They got the South Park. How I Met Your Mother, Friends, The Office. You and I are now friends, Joe. Appreciate it. <laughs> you got it. All right, Joe, stay on the line. We'll see how you compare to Nola Chari. How does Nola Chari do on TV shows? The Office, Parks and Rec, uh, Prison Break, Sneaky Pete, Good job. The Bachelor, Bachelorette, um, Game of Thrones, House of Dragons. It's a tie. We got an eight to eight match between Joe and Noel Chari. Joe, stay on the line. We'll see how that compares to our next contestants. Tom is up next. Tom, do you understand how to play? Can you beat the Blues? Yes, I do. All right, Tom. Here is your category. Name as many bands or musical artists as you can in 15 seconds. Bands or musical artists in 15 seconds on your mark. Get set. Go. ACDC Rush, um, Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention, um, uh, Wet Willie, Charlie Daniels, uh, Marshall Tucker, Molly Hatchett, uh, um, Maroon 5, uh, uh, Kid Rock, Nelly. Um, All right, that's 15 I seconds. Tom I got, got 11. 11 different bands. Tom, are you a big music guy? So you, you were ready I, to go I with am. those. I got I, I got to look up Wet Willie. Tom, is Wet Willie a band? Absolutely. One of my favorites. I've seen them a couple of times. Wet Willie's a band. Best known for their song, Keep On Smiling. Of course they are. Great stuff, Tom. All right, Tom. Great work by you. We'll see how that compares to Nolachari. Let's see if Nolachari's a big music guy. Zach Brown Band, Luke Bryan, Florida Georgia Line, Luke Combs, Post Malone, uh, Drake, uh, Taylor Swift, Miley Cyrus, Jake Owen. It sounds like my iPod. Yeah, I was about to say, again, I think Nola Chari has a very similar taste in music to Alex Ferrario. Yeah, he Hip-hop and I. Pop and country. Yeah, yeah. If you would have thrown a Disney song in there, win-win. All right, so that so is a, a plus, plus two. two for Tom. Tom, stay on the line. Joe, you have officially been eliminated with an even margin. You've officially been beat by a maple leaf. That's right. We are now going out to hear from Brandon. Brandon. Brandon, do you understand the rules of Can You Beat the Blues? Yes, I do, guys. Brandon, are you as miserable as BK? Oh, come on. Uh, 
Yeah, most days, I'd say. <laughs> I appreciate the honesty. All right, Brandon, here's your category. Your category is name as many types of food as you can in 15 seconds. So we're talking about, like, if you go out to eat and you eat a specific type of food. So I'll give you one. Italian. Italian is a specific category of food. Name as many of those as you can in 15 seconds. On your mark, get set, go. Uh, American, Mexican, Hispanic, Puerto Rican, Cuban, uh, Korean, Italian, Asian, German, uh, like English, like fish and chips, uh, oh, Canadian because of poutine. Um, I like that. I like that. I'll give it to you. He said um, Canadian because of poutine. Jamie Rivers appreciates. <laughs> All right. Brandon got 11 Brandon. types of food. Let's see how Nolachari does. See a foodie. American, Chinese, Mexican, German, French, Italian, um, Lebanese, Indian, uh, uh, Japanese. Oh, boy. It's our first one. Yeah. I think we've got a tie. He yeah. got nine, right? He got nine. So, so we have two guys at plus two. Brandon. Brandon. And Tom are both at a plus two right now. We do Hang have a tiebreaker. So hold on the line. Both of you will see what Brett is able to do. Brett, do you understand the rules of can you beat the Blues? Yes, I do. All right, All right. Brett. Your category today, going up against Nolachari, and you got to get better than a plus two against him. So the pressure is on. Name as many board games as you can in 15 seconds. As many board games as you can in 15 seconds. On your mark, get set, go. Monopoly, life, sorry, Yahtzee. Uh, oh, shoot. Uh, I don't play board games. <laughs> um, shoots and ladders. Oh. Um, life. I was going to jump in when he said shoot and say, and ladders, and ladders. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brett, you got five. Alex, what's your go-to board game? Oh, uh, life. Life, really? Love me life. Life and then Clue. Ticket to Ride is my go-to board game. You know what the game I hate? Mousetrap. That checks out. And Monopoly. Oh, Monopoly causes family fights. All right, let's hear what Nolachari, what kind of board games he's playing in Toronto. <laughs> categories, Pictionary. Uh, Monopoly, Game of Life, Clue, uh, Mousetrap, um, Scrabble, Guess, Guess, uh, um. <laughs> We'll give it to him. I knew where he was going. Either way, he got yeah. a plus two on Brett. Brett has officially been eliminated. Brett, Joe, we appreciate you playing today. We are officially moving on with Tom and Brandon, Brandon. both of whom beat Nolachari by two points in today's Can You Beat the Blues? T-Bone, we do have a uh, um, tiebreaker ready, correct? Correct. All right. T-Bone, what is our tiebreaker question today? How many career points does Nolachari have? All right. Tom? Closest to the number without going over Price is, is right winner. Rules. Tom, how many career points does Nolachari have? I'm going to say uh, 225. All right. Tom is going with 225 career points for Nolachari. Brandon, I hope you didn't look this up. How many career points does Nolachari have? I'm going to say... Oh, I'll say 230. All right, 230. T-Bone, what is the correct answer? How many points does Nolachari have? The 
correct answer is 96 career okay. points for <laughs> Nola Chari. So we're going to go we closest. Over. And you went over. <laughs> we're going closest. Tom, congratulations. Yeah. You are the winner of a signed <laughs> puck by Nola Chari, the Toronto Maple Leaf star center, and a pair of tickets to see the Blues on March 19th against the Winnipeg Jets. Congratulations, Tom. You can indeed beat the Blues. Great job, Tom. Thank you. I'm looking forward to the game and the puck. There Absolutely. we go. Awesome. Good job by Let's Tom. Go Blues. Let's go yep. Blues. Hopefully they are able to do their best with Thomas Grice in net tonight against the Sharks. You just knew somebody was going to step in and say, man, Scrabble and Yahtzee aren't actual board games. <laughs> Did somebody do that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, well, it didn't change the outcome. Well, 636, six, you couldn't beat the Blues anyway. Or the Maple Leafs. Or the Maple Leafs. All right, if you guys want to get involved in that next week, we'll be back with another edition of Can You Beat the Blues? We'll see if they are on the Blues next week. Coming up next, we'll hit the rewind and give you a chance to win a pair of tickets to see the Missouri Valley Men's Basketball Conference Tournament. That's all coming up in the rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on PK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. And now is your opportunity. We're just like Oprah Winfrey. You win this and you win that and you win that one. Right here on 101 ESPN. Except, uh, you know, not a car. but Or have billions of dollars. Um, yeah. We gave away a pair of tickets to see the Blues and a Noel Chari signed puck. And now we're giving away a pair of single pass or single session Good passes God, man Do you I'm want me to read this? this by the end of the week <laughs> for the 2023 for missouri valley men's basketball conference tournament it is the 33rd annual mvc tournament it begins at enterprise center on thursday through sunday tickets for arch madness on sale now at 101espn.com you can get all the details you can also win a pair of single session passes right now by texting Nolachari to 314-399-9646. All you got to do, te- text Nolachari to 314-399-9646. And if you are texter number 55, you will win that single do session pass number? to MVC's basketball tournament. All right, Alex, uh, to finish <laughs> no, things no, off today, <laughs> we will expand this uh, tomorrow. Saw this a little bit ago. Uh, Adam Wainwright, pretty significant piece to the Cardinals rotation, I would say. He's number one on T-Bone's top 20 most important players list. His average sinker uh, velocity in 2022 was about 88 and a half miles an hour. The fastest sinker that he has thrown in spring training so far is 86 miles per hour. He's about two and a half miles per hour below where he was on average last year. A lot of people on the text line have brought up, well, but he's probably just working his way in. It's spring training, but... In his first spring training start last year, his fastball velo averaged 89 miles per hour, which is roughly where it was last season. We are not at the alarm bells yet. If Wayno goes to the World Baseball Classic and it doesn't improve, though, we are getting close to being at alarm bells. I tell Tanner all the time, nothing matters. Spring training, nothing matters. True. 
something like this does kind of matter. If he doesn't have any velo and he's not a guy that wins with it, but there's a threshold that you got to at least be able to meet. How worrisome is this for you, Alex? I'm not worried yet, but like you said, if it if it goes through the World Baseball Classic where this is a problem and he gets because I, I believe he got hit around today too, um, so that's when I would start to get concerned. But I don't know how much I was expecting out of Adam Wainwright this season. I don't. I mean, I viewed him as the prototypical fifth in the rotation and just hoped that it was better. But here's what you are losing if you miss out on him being healthy all season: the innings. And I don't know if you got anybody on this roster that can eat those innings like Adam Wainwright usually does. My other concern is this. With a Steven Matz or um, Jordan Montgomery, like if, if something went awry and for whatever reason they just weren't as effective as a starter this season, obviously it would be a huge disappointment for you as uh, for the Cardinals. But those guys can profile as relievers. Adam Wainwright can't. His only value to you is his ability to eat innings. And I'm not saying that he doesn't like matter, but man, if you're having this kind of velo and you're not getting guys out as a starter, you can't put that guy in the bullpen this year. He's making $17.5 million. You need him to start. So they need him to get this thing going, and they need it to happen quickly. The next start for him is going to be in the World Baseball Classic. It's going to be worth monitoring if you're a Cardinals fan because we need to see that velo come up. I also feel for him, too, if that is the case because this was supposed to be his final season and the final tour for him, and, man, that would be a hell of a way to end it if that's the way it goes. So hopefully this is nothing. It's just tinkering with things at the beginning of spring training, and he gets this right. Yeah, I I think it'll be okay. I do, too. But I'm not worried yet. It is officially something to keep your eyes on, if nothing else. If you miss anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.